going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode and showings of the Shoe Show. I'm your host, Shoes, and today we've got a very special day. First and foremost, though, happy Labor Day. Hope you guys are having a blessed afternoon, evening, maybe even morning, depending on wherever you guys are listening at right now. But as I mentioned, I'm your host, Zach Shoes, Shoemaker, and today we've got a loaded episode. Two very special guests will be joining me. We have Coach Mike Rhodes, the new head coach of Penn State. He'll be joining me in about five or six minutes now. We'll get him in here and we'll get into that interview. Then in the second hour, we'll be having Caleb Battle on, one of the top transfers in the transfer portal from this past season. So he'll be hopping on in the second hour and we'll get into that interview as well. Also, lots of different topics we're going to get into today as well. Tons of stuff going on in the NFL as we approach the start of the season on Thursday. College football is off and running. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff we're going to get into regarding that. The World Cup for basketball, we now are down to eight teams and eight countries being represented remaining. Some more colleges are realigning now. We're going to get into that. And also some MLB stuff as well. So we're going to get into a lot of different those topics today. However, before we go any further, I do want to get into today's verse of the day. And that is Psalms chapter 23, verse 1, which reads this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Quite simple, short, but I do want to dive right up on into it though. The meaning of this verse can... Obviously, it's pretty straightforward. It's a simile discussing us, comparing us to sheep in a sense. Obviously, sheep now uh, will give a little bit more credit than I know a lot of people think. They're not the dumbest animal per se in the world, but they are not most, the most intelligent. And so what this is basically saying is that obviously us, we're not the most intelligent things in this world, in the universe. God is far more intelligent than us. And so if we're running around, going through this journey in this life without following him, being led by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we're going to go through a lot of stuff. We're going to stray away. We're going to get lost. And so what it's saying is that at the end of the day, the Lord is our shepherd. He's going to be the one that's going to protect us. That's going to provide for us. It's going to nourish us to make sure that we grow and, and make sure that we don't go down the wrong path. Make sure that we don't get lost. Now, obviously, we have to still submit to them. We have to allow his power to come in through us and, and change us and allow us to be molded into the image likeness of Jesus. But at the same time, he is our protector if we just allow him to be. He's going to guide us. He's going to make sure that we don't go down the wrong path. He's going to help us. And if we do, he's going to get us right back on path very quickly. And therefore, we lack nothing. There is nothing that he will not provide us for. He's going to provide food and water. He's going to be what we need to get through our lives. He's going to help us in, in our journeys, the ups and downs of life. He's going to be there regardless of where we stand at life, regardless of how long you've been a believer, how long you have detested him, how long you have have. have Seek, seek him, whatever the case may be, he's going to be right there by your side. He's going to provide for you. And at the end of the day, you will lack nothing if you just submit to the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is today's verse of the day. Once again, Psalms chapter 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, as I mentioned, we have Coach Mike Rhodes coming in here in about four minutes now. So we will go on a break prior to that interview starting. So we'll get him added up and all that. But I want to give a little bit of a an outline per se of of some of the topics we're going to get into in between the Coach Mike Rhodes interview as well as the in the Caleb Battle interview and then possibly on the end of the show. And some of those things is, like I said, some football stuff's going on. Mike Evans is in a contract situation right now. It was a little bit quiet for a little while, but now all of a sudden if, if the deal is not locked in before the season starts, there's a certain deadline, then Mike Evans could very well be possibly traded or be in his final year in Tampa Bay. And there are rumors. There's a lot of different teams that I'm going to discuss. I'm going to give you guys my top five in a little bit of the five teams that I could see Mike Evans potentially being traded to. Now, we do have some other news. Daniel Jones restructured his contract. Remember, he just got that extension or, or signed a new deal out there and, and a few months ago with the New York Giants. So we'll see exactly how that continues to transpire. But yes, they do have money to potentially sign Mike Evans in the future. 
I'm excited to be able to welcome on a coach that I've had been able to talk about many, many times with countless of his former VCU players. And today's finally the day that I get to actually talk to this special coach. He's been a Commerce Coach of the Year. He's been an incredible coach. And now he starts this new journey out at Penn State as their brand new head coach. And that's Coach Mike Rhodes. Coach, I appreciate taking time to come on today. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me once again. I appreciate you. I appreciate doing this. This is great. Absolutely. Well, we were just talking a little bit, but you're back home now. You get to be out there yeah. just two hours from where you grew up now. And so you're kind of adjusting to this new life back home. How has that been? I don't know if I've adjusted yet. Uh, mm -hmm. We just jumped into it. I finally, after five months, got out of an Airbnb. Okay. I found the place to stay. And you know, the neat thing about all this is I'm just familiar with the area. I know the state very well. Running in, honestly, running into so many basketball people in the state of Pennsylvania and how excited they are that we're here and that I'm back in the state. That's been really neat. It gives you a lot of energy, a lot of juice to do your job. So it's been a whirlwind for sure, building a whole roster very quickly. But we had a fun summer and now we're back here in school and we're, you know, we're jumping into it real quick. So the college coaching world is pretty much a four-year job now with the transfer portal going on, recruiting and high school kids, the season itself, summer stuff, everything going on now. And for yourself, you add on another whole new chapter because you're taking on a new job. So you have to move yeah. and you have the personal stuff going on too, as moving a family and all that stuff, finding a home. How have you just been able to kind of at all guys take this all in, knowing that how much chaotic there's been of just trying to adjust to life off outside of the basketball, but also balancing building pretty much an entire new roster for yourself now? Well, what you said right there is balancing it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, never, never too high, never too low, and mm -hmm. you just got to you got to go through it all. And I, I, I say it all the time: it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as good as you think it is. So just find a way to have an e even keel. And I've been fortunate, Zach. I've been doing this for a while now, so nothing surprises me ever <laughs> in in the world of college coaching. But that's the fun of it too. Every day is a little bit different than the last. Uh, personally, uh, you, know, you, you just want to make sure when you take a new job, you take care of your family. And as much as you're putting all that time in the establishing a culture and a foundation of a new program, if you don't have a family that's, you know, it feels in a good place and have their feet on the ground, nothing else matters. So that's very, very important to me and our staff. And our staff knows I demand that. We have to be great examples to our players of being able to handle all this the right way and Never too high, never too low, but it's a whirlwind. That's the term I've been using, uh, but it's fun too. Uh, you know, no matter what age you are in your career, if you take a new job, uh, it, there's a lot of a lot of fun energy, and there's a lot of things you got to jump in head first and get and get going at. But that's you know that that's the fun of it too. So I just got to ask you this because I ask a lot of players when they're going through the recruiting process or once they go to college about dream schools. I know when you're young, there might always be that that blue blood for some kids. Maybe it's in the hometown hero. But for coaches, I don't think we'd necessarily talk about that a lot. But yeah. was Penn State possibly the dream school or who was the dream school to possibly coach at when you were growing up as a kid just two hours away from Penn State? Man, I, I don't know if I ever had a dream school, but I will mm -hmm. say my family and I grew up cheering on Penn State and all their mm -hmm. sports. and. I said this the other day, uh, speaking to a, a bunch of donors and alumni, you know, my first football game, I think I was seven years old. My dad used to have meetings here on campus and my brother and I would come with him when we were little kids and, and he would drop us off and say, I'll meet you back here on the, uh, this spot at four o'clock. And we came up here, I came up here for camps. I came up here and worked camp when I was in college. 
So I probably knew more about Penn State basketball. I saw games in Rec Hall when I was mm-hmm. growing up. So I knew more about Penn State basketball than probably most people. So mm-hmm. I've always had my eye on it, um, and but never saying that's where I have to be. I, I've never mm-hmm. felt that. If I was still at Randolph-Macon to this day, I'd, I, I'd be a happy college basketball co- coach. But I've always wanted to, just like anybody that has competitive juices flowing every day, Zach, I just wanted to be able to, you know, have a chance to compete against the best coaches and programs yeah. in college basketball at the highest level. And I was very, very fortunate that this happened this spring. And, uh, you know, President uh, uh, Bendepudi and, and, and Pat Kraft, our director of athletics, they came after me and they want to make Penn State basketball significant. They want to make it important. They want to make... Mm-hmm make it a, a, a place that kids want to come here and fulfill all their dreams and uh, do something with Penn State basketball that's never been done. And uh, I'm all for it. And to get back to my home state and work for Pat Kraft, that mm-hmm. type of AD, um, nothing better than that. And he's you know, everything he's said to me since the day he started recruiting me has come you know, all the way through. And I, I really appreciate his honesty and he has my back and he's going to work for us. And when you have that type of AD and that type of president and how well connected they are and they're on the same page, it makes you as a coach really excited to be at the highest level in an unbelievable conference. And then let's see what we can do with our stamp on it. I love to hear that because we know Penn State historically as a football school. We know how elite they have been, the history, the the big old stadium, the whiteout games, all that. And I think there's been a stigma that so many schools are kind of have to make this decision. Are they all out on football? Are they all out on basketball? Well, we've seen some programs recently now have balance and have a school like Bama where they have great basketball and great football. And so obviously your mindset is coming in there and let's not just continue the success that Coach Shrewsbury started last season and made it determined, but let's build this to be a continual tournament appearance, make this a basketball Correct. school as well. How are you planning to be able to build up this program so that you guys are not looked at as just a football school, maybe three, four years, whatever it might be, but you guys are a football and basketball school potentially even? Well, on top of everything, it's a great university. Kids want to yeah. come to school here, and kids don't leave Penn State. They have an mm. unbelievable career, careers here uh, on and off the, off the field of play, the court of play. Uh, student athletes love being here at all sports, and – a lot of sports win at a very, very high level here. Basketball's mm-hmm. had pockets of success. That's the term I've yeah. used. They've had pockets of success. Now we want to try to turn that into sustainable success all the time. Mm-hmm. The first thing you need from that is a commitment from your administration on making everything in your program better. And it's not all about the almighty dollar. It's just making decisions that this is what we're going to do with men's basketball. And and then one reason they came after me was they know how I know how to build programs and I know how to do it the right way and uh, and keep the integrity of the university number one. Our guys are going to be student athletes first, but when we step on the court, we're going after people to win. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not changing that. That formula works for me and for us. And, um, and Penn State understood that. Um, and you know, everyone says they want to win, Zach, but not everyone's committed to winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, working for a president and, a, and an AD now that that they want to do something with men's basketball at Penn State, and they're committed They're committed to that. And, and they, they've shown that the last few months that I've been here. we still got a long way to, ways to go. we gotta, we got to make our facilities better. Uh, we got, we got to make our facilities so appealing that not only kids are so happy here, but they see these unbelievable silly facilities like some other sports we have here. That, that, that shows a commitment 
uh, to the program as well. But we've already made decisions here that they haven't done in the past uh, in just different ways, the different way we, ways we're going to go about doing things now and into the future. So that's what you want. You want to be around an AD and a president that that is excited about uh, what you're doing as you and your team and your staff are. And mm -hmm. uh, we have here now at Penn State. When we look at your roster, how you're building it so far, it's pretty similar to how you might have done at BC. There might be a little bit of changes there, but you've obviously decided to keep a lot of these guys that have that dog mentality, as a lot of people say, that toughness, that grit and grind about them. And you're bringing this into the Big Ten, which has been known as a conference that typically plays a certain brand of basketball. You know, we typically have the big man that run around him pretty much for the most part. You decided to kind of bring in your philosophy, and there might be some changes. That's kind of what I want to ask you about, because as yeah. you change from VCU playing the A-10 to now the Big Ten, how much of the style of play you've been coaching for a little while do you plan on bringing to the Penn State? Is it pretty much the entire thing, making some changes, or how are you going about that? Well, you always make changes based on your personnel year to year. Yeah. A, a couple tweaks here or there. But the foundation and the culture of our program is what you've seen at VCU and at Rice and mm -hmm. even at off making We're, we're going to play super hard. We're going to play together. Uh, we're going to um, – you got to kill us to beat us type of mentality. But I, I do know this from just studying Penn State basketball and and understanding the pockets of success they've had and then the other compared to other seasons is you got to be different. You got to be bold about it, but you got to be different because if we're going to play quarter court offense and quarter court defense with everybody else in the in the Big Ten, you know, the term I use, we're going to get bludgeoned. And and, mm -hmm. and when and Penn State has done that, it's it's harder to win. Your your margin of error, Zach, is so much smaller. And then that, you know, number one is it, it takes uh, uh, aggressiveness out of it. Now, yeah. now, you, now you're playing more on your heels. I, I want our guys to be the other way around. Like I've always coaches be super aggressive and let's play to our players strengths and instincts. Uh, so that, you know, I don't care what level you're at when you get, when you recruit good players and you develop players to become better and better and they play to instincts and their aggressiveness is clearer minds. Uh, mm -hmm. You play through mistakes quicker uh, but then you just go play basketball the way you know how to. So, you know, we're going to always be very disciplined, very organized. Uh, but we're going to like, you know, we're we're going to get after people uh, the in the full court. We're going to fly around. We're going to be exciting offensively. And, you know, I, I do think that I, I like the skill level of our guys. Uh, we're always going to continue to recruit to get better and better talent. That, that's what you do as a coach. But our style of play that you've seen with, with our staff that we're going to continue to do that. Uh, it's a fun way to coach. It's a fun way to play. And it gives uh, a lot of problems to people too. So we're going to go through a little bit of your roster, but two guys sure. I want to go into are guys that you brought over with you from VCU and that's Nick, that's Ace. When you talk about those two guys, being able to bring two guys that know you well, that you know them well, that you learned to trust, that you've coached for a couple of years now, how big and how important was it for you to be able to get those type of guys that know the foundation, that go into the locker room as players and know the philosophy, the game plan, know how you roll? How big was it for you to be able to bring a couple of the guys with you from VCU? I think it's huge. And look, we um, when the players, the, the relationships I had with this past year's team at, and, and winning a championship with them at VCU and winning the 8-10 regular season and tournament championship, like we just had a special group. Uh, they, we were so close with those guys. Our staff was, we still are to this day. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the neat thing about that group is they all had their great in their own personalities, but we knew how to play together as one and just took off as the season went on. It was a complete honor for me to be their head coach and 
our relationships will last forever and couldn't bring them all with me. Uh, but I brought two guys with me and Ace and, and, and Nick that I just, uh, you know, I, I love, I love coaching those guys. You know, Ace was player of the year and defensive player in the eight ten. Yep. He's at one of the best point guards in the country. Um, he's super competitive. He makes our team tougher. He makes his teammates tougher and, and have an edge. And, uh, and, and he's a really good basketball player. Uh, Nick Kern is, you know, a guy that just, you know, he's all about, he's the greatest example for me to show our guys here is here's how you develop yourself as a young man, as a player to make such an impact in winning. We put him in the, in the lineup about 12 games in last year and we take off and it's because winning was more important to him than anything else, than individual stats or anything. He's the culture guy. He's the guy that guarded the other team's best player, got big rebounds, toughness plays, and then got better and better with his with his overall game. So those two guys are great examples of how we do things in, in our program, in our family. But also I think uh, you know, you build relationships beyond basketball. Uh, that's, you know, that's probably one, you know, one reason why those guys came with us. They could have went anywhere in the country. Yeah. Uh, like some of the other guys have, have, have from VCU and, uh, they're, they're all special guys. We're fortunate to have Ace and Nick and they can help our guys understand that, Hey, this is how coach Rhodes does things. This is how we play defense. This is how, this is how we get ready for practice. All that stuff. I still want them to be themselves and the best individuals they can be. Uh, but they can sure help the, all the new guys who are under their first year with me understand that, hey, there's a process to all this, and and this is how it's going to go about. Some of the other guys you brought in, now there's a lot of them because you had to come in, you filled up 10 roster spots. You have a few guys that I've known from Arizona Times. DeMarco Dunn spent time out here in Arizona for a little bit, Puff Johnson as well. They both come over as guys that have been rotation players on a decent North Carolina team, a championship team the year before that. They come on over with you. Yeah, Ray Quandis, who's a big-time player. Quandis, Zach Hicks, the list goes on. And just all these guys you had to fill this roster out with. And you probably see them now a little bit. You guys had the 4-2 out there to the Bahamas. What's your feel for this overall team and how they're coming together so far? I, I Honestly, uh, better than I would have imagined bringing mm -hmm. 10 guys in like 60 days. I think we had 14 <laughs> official visits in like 60 days. Mm. It was the craziest two and a half, three months uh, in, in my coaching career, but I loved every day of it because you just attacked the day and you went after these players that you wanted. The one thing we made sure was we weren't just going to fill up a roster. We were finding guys that, that number one, wanted to be with us and be at Penn State. We wanted to find guys that fit our style of play and, and have balance. We didn't want to get nine grad transfers to go through this again. We wanted to have guys that also were going to be here and develop with us. It's very important to me that you know, we sweat uh, as a coaching staff. We sweat with our players. Uh, we, we we put the deposits in, as I say, with the players on player development. Well, if you get a guy that's only here one or two years, or you just one year, that's really hard. Uh, yeah. Not that it does; it, it can still work for sure. But I wanted to make sure that you know we built this culture and this foundation and the start of my career here at, at Penn State with guys understanding that there's a development piece to it. So DeMarco Dunn, I recruited really hard to VCU. Puff Johnson, I recruited his brother Cam the Rice really hard. They came for an official visit. I tried to recruit Puff before he blew up in high school. Mm -hmm. Prior relationships, you know, Leo O'Boyle, who, who played at Lafayette, had a great career there. He's a co-region kid from Pennsylvania that, that Coach Jimmy Martelli and I knew. Like, there's a lot of that. And we just want to make sure we found great fits first before we just took guys. And I was, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of our staff. 
we got the guys we wanted. We we filled needs for sure, but we just didn't. It wasn't a quick fix to us. And you know, I I think we passed on some guys that other people didn't pass on because we wanted to make sure they were the right fits and and blend it mm -hmm. with the rest of the guys we had. And that's really important to me. We're, if we're gonna build this, we're gonna build this for the long term. Build it to last is a term I've always used. Uh, now we want to win right away, but man, let's build it to last with the right people uh, on board and and the right pieces. So I do want to go a little bit through your career because you have had a lot of different basketball stories and stuff. I'm sure you could tell. So sure. I want to take a little bit of, of a stop break at VCU because there's one guy and, and you've coached a lot of great players, two NBA guys specifically. I want to get into the one of which is Bones and. I have to admit, he's probably one of my most favorite interviews I've had before. He's just one of the most outgoing. He's got a great personality. He's a fun guy, but he was one heck of a player as well. So I just want to ask you, though, if you look back at your time with Bones throughout his career, what would you say would be your favorite memory or your favorite story with him? What I, 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 love, this, what I love telling people about Bones is his joy to play basketball mm. is just through the roof. I don't. I don't know if I can. I, I know people, guy. I've coached tons of guys that love basketball, love playing basketball. Mm -hmm. But man, when Bones gets the basketball in his hand, it just lights up not just the room, but the block. Mm -hmm. I, I say it all the time. He just, his joy for basketball is so high and so great that it just, uh, you know, it, it goes to everybody and the coaches. Uh, and, you know, the one thing, you know, the way we play fit Bones tremendously because. He could be himself and let his instincts take over. And he, you know, he was fun to coach, but he was really fun to watch too. Um, yeah. But just uh, joy for life, joy for basketball, always shine through more than anything. And and him working on his game um, is, a, is a whole different level. His pace, his intensity, his approach. Now, he might not work out for two hours straight, but he might come back in the gym three or four times in one day and work out for 35, 40 minutes at a pace most people can't do for 10 minutes. And he still has that. And he just loves playing basketball. And you put that ball in his hand, there's a level of joy uh, that he has that's just tremendous. So he's going to have a long NBA career because he's very, very talented, as yeah. we all see. And he's only going to mature and get better. But I think also people see the joy of basketball he has at, at wherever he's at uh, in, in the rec uh, on a in a summer league game, in a college basketball game, and in the NBA, his joy for basketball takes over. When you were recruiting him, he was your highest ranked recruit that you had at VCU, but he still wasn't necessarily like a five star top guy that people would say, okay, he's bound for the NBA guaranteed. But when you recruited him, was it surprising at all when you look back seeing how successful he was, not just at VCU, but now becoming the NBA caliber player that he is today? Well, you know, unfortunately for Bones, you know, he had a, a tragedy in his life. Yeah. It was an awful fire and, and lost family members, and, and he really messed up his knee. I think he pretty much shattered his patella tendon and his kneecap. You know, he would have been a five-star if that didn't happen, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, J.D. Byers, who's my assistant at the time, and I, we've ju we just – his high school coach, we recruited Coach Griffin's son, who ended up going uh, – at Randolph-Macon, ended up going at Ivy League to Dartmouth. So we always stayed in touch with Coach Griffin. He told us about this kid coming up. He says, he's the one, he's the one. And he, Coach Griffin was sure right about Bones. And we just stayed in touch with Bones. And, you know, Bones got recruited by a lot of schools. And he's, you know, he, he waited because he was just trying to figure it out. And we got to VCU. It was close to home because he wanted his mom to see him play and his, and his family. 
Mm -hmm. um, he, I think our style of play fit him. What I think helped Bones a lot too, and is is you know he, there were we had some good players at VCU when he came in, so he was battling dudes every day, and I think it really helped him develop quick that first year. And then he just, I was you know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but give him the ball and go. I should have given the ball more his freshman year, uh, but. <laughs> You know, we sophomore year, he and Ace in the, in the backcourt together. Uh, that mm -hmm. was very dynamic. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, a lot of schools recruited Bones, but not everyone went in on him. Uh, if he didn't have that injury, I, I think he would have been a top 25 player mm -hmm. uh, with, without a doubt. That's how talented he was and his, and his spirit and his, uh, his approach. You know, I think a lot of coaches would have just jumped on it. Another NBA guy is Vince Williams, who – He's now in the NBA as well, Memphis Grizzlies, and he was a guy that wasn't even really ranked at all coming into right. his, his college career. And you ended up developing him for his career and, and turning him into an NBA player then. Was that shocking to you at all? Well, I've, I always saw it. I just thought he needed to mature and keep developing. He mm -hmm. could dribble, shoot, and pass at a high level, had the measurables. He was tall. He could move. He could get off his feet, but he's really long. Great instincts, great ball instincts, as I say. Off defensively guard multiple positions from day one played for a really good high school coach uh, at St. John's in Toledo, Ohio. I loved watching him play uh, his summer of his going in his junior year mm -hmm. on the all Ohio red AU program. And I just kept saying that JD, JD and I recruited him like this kid. I love this kid. Versatility <laughs> is my big thing because when guys are versatile, that's when you can really develop certain parts of the game to become elite. And then, honestly, Vince's junior year and senior year, he just got really, really serious about his working out. He always played. He always competed. That was never a question, but just became more strategic in his approach, bought into the weight room even more in his conditioning and his body. And he just matured. He grew up. He was a young freshman in college, age-wise as well. And and he just, you know, he just blossomed those last two years. And then he had a phenomenal senior year. And we had every every NBA team come in our our gym at VCU every year because of, of the success of the program well before I got there. So mm -hmm. when they came in, I always say, just keep an eye on Vince Williams. He, he can really play, and he really knows how to win. His team seemed like it always won in practice, and he knows how to impact winning, and that's what they want at the next level. And, and they love him mm -hmm. in Memphis. He had a great summer again. He can really – he really knows how to work and work efficiently. Uh, but, he, you know – our development program, he's a great example. He stuck to it. He worked with J.D. Byers and Jamal Brunt and, and Brent Scott and just got better and better. So what does this development program look like for yourself? Because so many of the players you get are guys that were unranked or not really yeah. regarded as top-ranked recruits. And so many of these guys become all-commerce level players, play of the year players, have professional careers, whether that be in the NBA, overseas, whatever it might be. How do you, first of all, I guess, identify these guys and then also get them into your program? And over the course of a handful of years, you end up turning these guys into having very solid, very good college careers and even potentially allow them to have the opportunity to make a living off this game. Well, you, we all, we, as coaches, you, you look for talent. Come on. We all know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> or or there's, there's players that you say you like certain things that they do well enough to recruit them. So, you know, th that's the first part of it. But then you just, you know, for me, there's some intangibles, competitiveness. Do they have an edge? Um, you know, I want to see them sometimes after they lose a game. Are they mad? Are they are they mm. disappointed, upset? Are they happy and everything's, you know, okay? Uh, those guys don't do well with me. 
Uh, <laughs> so, oh, Vince Williams, you know, if he and Bones, if they lost a, a shooting game, they, they're yelling, run it back, coach. If they lost a three-on-three drill, they, they're yelling, run it back. Aces like that. Like, I want guys with com- a competitive edge. Maybe they might be a little bit weaker at the time or, you know, don't handle it as well. But if you have a competitive edge and and you're, you have a level of, of coachability, you uh, you tend to live in the gym more. You tend to work with an edge, mm-hmm. and then you compete it with an edge. And I think that's how you get better. you got to be able to live in the gym when no one else is around. I say it all the time. And then the other part of it is is uh, the, the con- strength and conditioning part. Um, you know, not everyone loves to lift weights as basketball players. If they love to be in the gym all the time and they love they love to work out, but they haven't done that weight room stuff, that will tra- transfer over to the weight room and strength and conditioning. So, so you know, we want to make sure guys understand that as we're recruiting them. The development part to me is here's three things you're not you you don't do at this level yet, but man, if you can add this to your game, and we work on those three things maybe one summer and then the next summer. Uh, shooting the ball and dribbling the ball for us and being able to make quick decisions in, in the flow and the in the speed of how we play, the pace of how we play is very important. So we watch that early on when we're recruiting guys. Uh, but the development part, are you willing to sweat with the coaches? Are you willing to get extra lifts in? Are you, will, are you coming back in the gym at night? You know, that's one thing we created here already at Penn State. Um, the Everyone's coming back at night after a workout uh, at late late night with the GAs because they they know that's that's how we do things and and I better get extra shots up because they're expecting me to make shots when we play at this pace why I'm playing through fatigue so all that stuff adds up in the recruiting as we but but that's the development part Zach that I, we take great pride in I, it's one thing who we get I don't care how many stars they are what's their number in front of their name. Man, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, what type of player can they be for us? Can they help us win? That's the most important thing for me. For anyone that was a part of the bubble experience during the NCAA tournament 2021, I always got to ask them because there tends to be a lot of funny stories and some crazy stories that go on from that experience. And you guys were probably one of the biggest headline things because you guys headed into there. And I'll be honest, I thought you guys were at least going to make a Sweet 16 Elite Eight run. I thought Bones was just the type of box office guy meant for March Madness basketball. Yeah, and obviously you guys, I'm having the COVID thing occur. You guys aren't able to play in the game. That whole story unfolds, but I want to hear your kind of your take on that and your story from that because you guys go out there, prime to potentially play against Oregon and, and pull off an upset and, and have a great series there and potentially make a deep run. What all went down and, and, and just what was that whole COVID bubble experience like for yourself? Yeah, well, as you know, everybody, it's not always that you're seeding; it's your matchups, and I felt great yeah. with our matchups for that weekend. Mm-hmm. We were playing the last game on Saturday of the first round, you know, we're, we're, everyone in the country is going to be watching us. Bones, Ace, Vince, oh man, yeah. I thought we were playing pretty well. We lost to a great St. Bonaventure team a couple a week earlier uh, in the A-10 final. And guys were, were um, disappointed in that performance and couldn't wait to, you know, play again. So, you know, what can I tell you about that experience? It was one of the toughest things for me in my coaching career. Uh, I told our players, I mean, when, when the AD called me and then I talked to the, um, you know, the, the NCA people, the tournament people, and just said, you know, the, 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 the health department's going to shut us down. It was considered a cluster of positive tests in our group. They're shutting our group down. I called 
I called Bones in my room first to let him know because I knew how he was going to take it. And we just sat there and sort of got through it together. Then I went and met in the middle of the hallway because we weren't allowed off our hallway and tell our players. And it was just, it, you know, the best way I can tell you, it just sucked. Yeah. It just, there's nothing else. But I told the guys, I said, guys, this, like, this is, this, this is part of life that's not fair. My mom used to always say that to my brother and sister and I, life's not fair. Get used to it. Figure it out. Get through it. And life's just not fair. Uh, we're going to move on from this and we'll do it together and go from there. I just was shocked that we're the only team in the whole bubble. <laughs> yeah. And we were in the bubble for a week that, that you know, couldn't play. That That's the bummer of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the sad thing about it all for me as a coach was we fly back in the middle of the night we get off the plane and everybody goes home because we're on spring break. The guys that were positive plus a couple of coaches, they had a bus back from Indianapolis to hotels in Richmond because they had a quarantine. And then I'm stuck at home that weekend. And I go down to the office Sunday, nobody's there. I go down to the office Monday, nobody's around. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it's a ghost town. And that just, you know, you just, there's like, there's peaks and valleys in your coaching career and your playing career and going through stuff that was just you know we're down in the valley and that was a bummer i couldn't wait for our guys to get back to campus so we can get back into gym and, and roll the balls out and get to work so it was just a bummer it was just it, i i agree with you you know i loved our team we were playing at a high level i would have played anybody in the country with the group we had because we were playing the right way had a dynamic player like bones we had vince and we had ace and I just loved the group we had, so it just it just stunk. I mean, it just really stunk. But you know, it's uh, it's part of life. We had to go through it. Just for us, it had to be the in in the middle of March Madness. So you are at Penn State now. That's where kind of want to wrap back up with now with you because you now have got this opportunity at Penn State. But I want to ask you, how did this all come to be? Because you're at VCU, still a very respected school, a great school in the A10 out there, and all of a sudden the Penn State opportunity becomes available. Yeah. We now know the facts. Yes, you are the head coach, but you obviously are behind the scenes, figuring it out, making the transition, however that goes. So Look, what was so the whole it, process like? I, you know, the last two years, I had phone calls from a bunch of schools. So, you know, I was very fortunate. We had some success and I just not not, uh, not interested. Uh, we, I moved my family around a few times. Uh, I love VCU. Everybody knows that. My kids were born in the Richmond area. Lots of lots of friends there that are, I consider family. And uh, my son just graduated. He's going to, you know, he's a freshman football player at Colgate. My daughter is a senior right now in Richmond, and I, my son is an eighth grader. And they're living down there for the year for my my daughter's senior year. Fortunately mm -hmm. for us, she about a month ago she committed to play lacrosse at Penn State, so we're really excited about that. But Zach, no intentions, no intentions. We, we were good, and uh, I was excited. Uh, but the president and and the AD and, you know, Pat Kraft aggressively came after me. And um, because it was Penn State is a my wife's from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We uh, we cheered on Penn State many a times, even on our back porch in Richmond. When mm -hmm. Penn State was on, we would watch those games, all their different sports on the Big Ten Network because we're Penn State <laughs> fans our whole lives, both of us. So uh, talking to Pat and his team. And uh, I, it came down that I, I wanted to I wanted to work for this AD. This is the guy I wanted to work for. I, I can tell he had my back. He was going to go to work for me, 
and they want to do something with Penn State basketball that uh, maybe they've never, you know, they've never done before, and and they were committed to it. And uh, I explained to them that I knew more about Penn State basketball than they did, and they understood <laughs> that. And so, what's this is what it's going to take to do it, and and it's everyday decisions. It's it's uh, approaching things differently than in the past. It's uh, investing in our staff. It's investing in GAs. It's it's making sure uh, we do things at a high level so our players can perform at a high level. And, uh, you know, uh, Pat Kraft has rung the bell since I've been here. And, and I could tell he's an AD. It's going to go to work for me and have my back. And uh, at Penn State, which has a unbelievable brand at mm-hmm. the highest level and one of the best conferences on the biggest stage night in and night out against awesome coaches and awesome teams, Hey, who wouldn't want that challenge? Who wouldn't want that opportunity? And, you know, it's, it's important where you go work. It's important where you work at and, and what university that is. So to me, it's more important what people you're going to be around. And mm-hmm. I had a chance to be around Pat Craft every day, and that was going to be my boss and my AD. I wanted to go work for him. So we do know that that VCU home-and-home series is going to occur at some point. When you have the opportunity to potentially go back to where you have coached for a long time, obviously as a head coach and also for a while as an assistant coach, what do you think that experience is going to be like? Just like the other guys, it's, you know, number one is appreciation. Um, Yeah. You know, awesome fans, awesome supporters and donors and alums, the Peppas, the bands, best band around, Mm -hmm. um, and and just so many people around there that uh, I consider – you know, everybody wants to win and the comp- the competitiveness comes out in everybody, but I, I, it's a special place. And uh, I was very fortunate to be there, I think, longer than any coach in the history of the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the years I was there and I met so many awesome people that I consider important friends in my life. And that will never change. Uh, you know, 40 minute games uh, doesn't change great friendships and all that stuff. And, you know, that's just what you got to do. The schedule's the schedule's act. You go play the games. You try mm-hmm. to win. Uh, but when it comes to people you respect and appreciate, that doesn't change. So when you get out and, and you're playing and you're coaching in this stadium and you're st- coaching and, and you have the Penn State logo and you're at home, how much different do you think that's going to be in your mind? Like Just realizing that you're at home, you get to be the coach of this program that you watched growing up. What do you think that experience is going to be like when you first get out there and you play very, or coach your very first game out there? Well, I, I mean – just the last five months going around the state and meeting so many people, speaking to people, but then running in all the high school coaches and all the basketball people, it just, you know, your competitive fire, you know, it's, it's stoked without a doubt. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's, that's been a lot of fun. And this is, this is my state. I'm from here. Jody and I are from here and take great pride in where we're from. So uh, I love that part of it. Um, look, uh, whatever you put on your chest, right. Whatever is on the front of that uniform, uh, that's all that matters, uh, and I think that's really, really important uh, for Penn State basketball and Penn State basketball fans. And our season tickets are 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 at an all time high. There's lots of people really excited about the program, and I, I just think that you know I'm going to take great pride in that. But we have a lot of work before we get to the first game. But I really like this group. I love working with this group, and we're excited about it. So we do know that when you talk about the Big Ten now. There is a lot of transitioning happening currently. Walk us through that a little bit because you see UCLA coming in, you see Oregon, you see Washington, USC. 
what is that going to be like? And how excited is this expansion and the realignment really like what, what kind of goes through your mind when you think about the excitement of the growth of the Big Ten in the near future now? Yeah, well, personally, for me, I love it and our staff because when I was at Rice, we recruited the West Coast for three years really hard. And we had some great relationships and, you know, in the in the Northwest and the, and the West Coast and all that. And so we could recruit those areas because the Big Ten now hits those areas. So uh, I love that part of it. I mean, come on, you're going to, I'm going to have a chance to, to coach at Poly Pavilion, um, <laughs> you know, get to Seattle, you know, Oregon, what a place that is. Like, I mean, that's the fun of it. Be on the same floor as USC and that's really cool. And, and uh, so I'm, I think that's, that's the fun part of it. So, you know, I was always, look, you got to understand I was a D3 guy. I drove a white van, uh, <laughs> two white vans. And then, we went and played games, and, you know, and then I passed out the, I passed out the the post game pizzas before I got in the van and drove it home, win or lose. I mean, so for for us to be all over the country representing Penn State and being the head men's basketball coach in the Big Ten, one mm. of the best, you know, the one of the best basketball conferences in the country on the biggest stage with these Hall of Fame coaches, I'm a very lucky guy, and that's how I look at it. But I, I'm also really excited to see the spin that we're going to put on Penn State basketball and and we're going to get after and go after people and have a lot of fun doing it. So you have this very first upcoming season. If we were to talk in one year from now, what's the branding? What do you want people to take away from your very first season as the Penn State head coach? Man, those guys are fun to watch. Mm. Man, I want to root for those guys. Um, man, they're not afraid to play super hard. They're tough and they play a fun, exciting style. And yeah. they're different than everybody else. Well, that you know, we, we keep talking about being bold, different, and aggressive, and and we have to be, and we have to live on that. Well, Coach, the final thing I do want to ask before I let you go is I know that you are pretty big on giving back. You've always been a big promoter and, and advocate for coaches versus Kansas. So I want to go into that a little bit because I love seeing coaches when they take on something that's beyond basketball and something that's much bigger than that. And so that's something I know that you've done lots of things throughout your career with. Take us through your passion for that and why you've been inspired to really kind of emphasis on, on giving back in that aspect. Well, I just, uh, you know, that's the way I was raised, Zach. My mom and dad had paid forward. Uh, so mm. my dad, I, I've heard my dad say when I was a younger, a younger kid, like, a, like even, even at a young age, I, I heard it, probably didn't understand it. But as I got older, I watched him. He was the greatest example of giving himself up for others. And, you know, take care of those around you and things come back to you tenfold. And mm -hmm. the tenfold to me is these cool relationships with young people and, and my staff and watching us help people that maybe just in that moment can't help themselves or just need something. And uh, I think we, you know, paid forward. Isn't that a cool way to go through life and, and don't mm -hmm. want anything in return for it. And not even yeah. a because I think it's just the right thing to do. So I always say, if I could teach our guys to do that in life, the world's going to be better. And that person's that down on their luck. Maybe we we pick them up off their, you know, off that off that leg. I always say, or you know, off the ground, whatever it may be, and mm -hmm. dust them off and help them move forward. And you know that that's pretty cool. So you know, coaches versus cancer. You know, when, when there's been some tragedies in, in specific areas that I've been at, or just helping some young people at schools. Or, or some of our players have done a great job of that as well. Being you know some big brothers, big sister type of approach. Mm -hmm. And uh, around Christmas time and in the summer and all that back to school stuff, pay it forward, man, pay it forward. Mm -hmm. and, and, and things come back to you pretty cool. And, and that, that will never change. We'll always do that. That's a fun way to do it. 
That's awesome. Well, Coach, I appreciate taking time to come on today, and I'm very excited to see what God's got in store for you in year one and ultimately throughout the rest of your career at Penn State. You got it, man. I appreciate it. God bless. Absolutely, Coach. God bless you, too. Talk to you later, Coach. You bet. Take care. I do want to get into a couple of topics I want to discuss. The very first one is, is I mentioned it right before the interview coach, Mike Rhodes, and that is the Mike Evans situation. There's there's two big, big contract disputes, issues. I should say three, although I feel like Nick Bosa, I don't think he's leaving. They already said they're not going to trade him. I think that would, that would be highly unlikely. The two that are really interesting and tricky are the Chris Jones situations and the Mike Mike Evans situations. Both guys Perennial All-Stars, two guys that are likely bound for the Hall of uh, not likely, they're both bound for the Hall of Fame, still both in the midst of their primes, and, and now they're both in contract issues, and who knows, could they both be dealt, we'll see what happens. I discussed Chris Jones last week, but this one is going to be about Mike Evans, because the Mike Evans situation was not talked about a lot, and then all of a sudden this weekend we hear a report from his agent saying that they're going to give a deadline for the, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to see whether or not they're going to extend him or whatever the situation might be. And then if not, he'll play out potentially his last year as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So that leads us with the question then. If Tampa, if Tampa Bay does not want to keep him long-term, which from the sake of, of having a franchise player that's there his whole career, that'd be cool. But they're nowhere near competing. They're not going to be very good. They'll be middle of the pack probably or something like that back end. But they're not a contender to any extent. Get value from Mike Evans would be a prime great idea to do that at this point in time. So here's my top five teams. I'm going to say the first two that I left out of the top five that are just a little bit peeking in there on the back end of it. That is the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Both these teams have the financial resources to be able to acquire Mike Evans. And the Lions, I could see a little bit more likely than the Bears. The Bears are still younger. Giving Justin Fields a veteran presence at wide receiver would be nice. They could obviously still use some more upgrades, although I do not mind the group that they have right now. They definitely could use upgrades, but I don't mind DJ Moore having Darnell Mooney at number two. Cole Komet's not bad at all. Solid pieces there. The Detroit Lions, I think that they're a team that will make a NFC playoff run, potentially win a couple games in the playoffs. We'll see what happens there. But for them, I absolutely love Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he is a franchise caliber wide receiver. And you have some other solid pieces around them, Jameer Gibbs and whatnot. But here's my top five. At number five, I've got the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns have enough money to be able to acquire him. You have Deshaun Watson, who I still think is a very, very, very capable quarterback that I think is going to be good. Now, obviously, off the court, off the field stuff, that's another story. But the situation that Deshaun Watson, you already got Amari Cooper out there. You added Mike Evans, David Njoku. You got Nick Chubb in the backfield with yourself. A, a decent line over there. That could be a very interesting situation. I would not mind that at all. I could easily see the Browns picking that up and, and giving Deshaun Watson another weapon like Mike Evans would be huge. Number four on my list, I have the New England Patriots. Now, we heard rumors, and, and I'll say this is a little bit off topic, the whole Juju Smith-Schuster thing about his knee being ready to explode or whatever that report was this morning, it's a little bit troublesome to me. Um, not even the fact that if that is true or not, just the fact that that gets reported. I, I don't know why that type of report would even come out, how people would even have that information or data to begin with. Uh, so I'm not really buying too much stock into it. I know Juju already refuted that statement, but the fact of the matter, he is your wide receiver one, and he's not bad. When you have Patrick Mahomes and you have a guy in Travis Kelsey, who truly is the wide receiver one, if we're being honest, he can be that. Uh, in a Mac Jones situation, truly as the number one weapon, that's a little bit more debatable, but they do have some other decent pieces behind them. But the fact of the matter is that they do need a wide receiver one badly. And Mike Evans is clearly a wide receiver one. 
he would be huge for them. I think his his philosophy, his mindset would would mesh well with Bill Belichick in that system as well. So I have the New England Patriots at number four. At number three, the New York Giants. I put them at number three, and here's why. Just this morning, as I mentioned earlier, Daniel Jones restructured his contract. They freed up $6.125 million, if I'm not mistaken, on those numbers. Having that extra flexibility has to be for something. You're not just going to create that flexibility at this point in the offseason for nothing, just to save money. No, no, no. There's a reason there. They're going all in around Daniel Jones, around Saquon Barkley, around Andrew Thomas and the offensive line, around some of the pieces they've got in store on that roster. Then you add Mike Evans there. That gives them a true wide receiver one. Darren Waller is a great weapon. They pulled in a tight end for themselves this upcoming season. I think he's going to be special out there once again if he can stay healthy. But you've got some other decent wide receiver depth pieces. Where all of a sudden, if you add Mike Evans into the New York Giants, then you've got some really solid depth pieces behind them where they all fill out to number two, three, four, and so on. And you got a decent wide receiver group there, along with Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley and company. So that's why I have the New York Giants number three. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. I think when you look, talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, they can obviously get the job done without Patrick Mahomes. There's no debate about that. Or without, sorry, without a wide receiver. They, they have Patrick Mahomes. Any wide receiver can obviously be decent out there. But let's just be honest. If we give Patrick Mahomes another wide receiver one, that would be special. Now, do they do it? I'm not sure because obviously Mike Evans is going to come with the paycheck. You're going to have to pay him a lot of money. And quite frankly, for whatever reason, Kansas City Chiefs just do not want to pay their these guys a lot of money. Patrick Mahomes, they make him the highest paid, and rightfully so, and obviously he's not falling down that list a little bit. Kelsey takes a lot of hometown discounts. But Tyree Kill, they had no business in even deciding to even want to pay Tyree Kill his money. They trade him off. Chris Jones, I think it's getting – every minute I feel like we're getting closer and closer to just hearing the official thing that they're going to try trading Chris Jones and he's going to be dealt. I don't – at this point, I don't think he's going to come back unless a miracle happens all of a sudden. But I think we're getting closer and closer to that point. We've seen this with countless other guys. They don't want to pay these guys a lot of money. So from the sake of will the Chiefs actually do it, I don't know if they belong at number two. But for me, in terms of fit, in terms of just what could happen and could the Chiefs make money for it, absolutely. So Mike Evans with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and then you have Cordarius Tony for whatever amount of games he ends up playing. You have Sky Moore. You have the other guys that fill out. Marcus Vela-Scantling at two, three, four, depth on the depth chart on the wide receiver. Isaiah Pacheco, you got a great little group there with, of course, Patrick Mahomes. You would be obvious favorite once again. But at number one, that leaves me with the New York Jets. I saw a list a little bit ago. Didn't even have New York Jets on that list. The fact of the matter is the New York Jets have money. Remember, Aaron Rodgers took a massive discount this season to be able to play on this roster. And you could potentially add in Mike Evans along with Garrett Wilson. Remember, Corey Davis just retired just a little bit ago. They've got money. Now, I know there's rumors. Could Devontae Adams potentially be the guy there? That would obviously be the number one option if you do that. David Bakhtari, we don't know. Could that be an option? Of course. But the fact of the matter is that there is money there, and there is a potential to add another weapon in that system. And if the New York Jets get Mike Evans, that that would be it. I wouldn't put – I would not put them above the Miami Dolphins at wide receiver group. Obviously, Tyreek Hill and Waddle, I think, is number one. It's not even debatable. However, they're certainly up there. And then you have Aaron Rodgers throwing them the ball. A very special group. So that is my top five destination points and places for Mike Evans to potentially go. But with that being said, um, actually, we'll get into one more thing before we get Caleb Ballow in here. And that's just a little bit of a couple of little information headlines right now. Ronald Acuna Jr. having an MVP type season. He's going to win the NL MVP this season. Spectacular play for the Atlanta Braves, number one team in all baseball. They are playing spectacular. He's just putting on a show every time. He might be the most box office player in all of the MLB. And he's getting up there in terms of all sports right now, if we're being honest. But he now has become the very first MLB player 
to ever have a 30 run, 30 home run season, as well as 60 stolen bases. That's electrifying. The two most electrifying things you can have in all baseball. He's done the first to hit 30 home runs, 60 stolen bases. He is spectacular. He is going to be the runaway NL MVP this season. Other breaking news, Kyle Rudolph, most famous for his run and his days with the, with the Minnesota Vikings. He has officially now announced his retirement. He's stepping away from the game of football. He's failed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers most recently. He had a little bit of a giant stint a little bit ago. But with that being said, Mike Kyle Rudolph has now retired and will step away from the game of football. Other big news is that we have more college realignment. The ACC has now added both Cal, Stanford, and SMU. I love college realignment. I know there's some people in the media that don't like it. I discussed that in the very first episode, if I'm not mistaken. But I do not mind that move too much. Um, obviously, it makes sense for Cal, Stanford, and SMU. The ACC, I'm not sure exactly why they made the move, if I'm going to be honest. I don't think those are the three biggest brands you could have added. I think it's more so insurance in case we see the Florida State, the Miami, the, the Clemson, and all those dominoes fall, North Carolina, maybe even Duke, whatever it could be, dominoes fall in the next couple of weeks or months or year maybe even. But yes, the ACC is now up to 18 schools. Cal, Stanford, and SMU have now joined them. A special guest is going to be joining me now. He is one of the top transfer portal additions and availabilities this entire offseason. He's now a member of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he's a guy that I've had on here a couple of times before, but therefore it is a blessing to welcome on one of the top scorers in the country from last year, Caleb Battle. Caleb, appreciate you taking time to come on today, man. Appreciate you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you're now in this adjustment period where you've been at Temple the past couple of years. You now move out and you're at Arkansas. How's the adjustment process been for yourself so far? Oh, it's been great. You know, the people people here are really um, welcoming. Mm -hmm. um, definitely different from back home, but it's, it's been great so far. Um, getting used to um, the setting out here. Um, but, like, this is my first time um, in, a, in a while being at a really, like, a school atmosphere. You know, from mm -hmm. being at Temple, it was more like a city, a lot of sports teams. Um, and here, you're a professional team, so it feels good. So you kind of mentioned though, but you've been on the East Coast pretty much for the majority of your career. Now you're not necessarily in the East Coast. You're more so in the middle of the country now. Have you adjusted to life not being in the big city life type of player type of place anymore? Yeah, definitely. I mean, people think I, I'm a little uh, out there because I'm so used to you know, <laughs> being from the city and I'm so used yeah. to uh, different things. But I mean, the way of life they live here, people of Arkansas is beautiful. You know, I never seen so many trees. I keep saying that. You know, I never seen so many. <laughs> As soon as I landed here after playing, I saw cows and a lot of farmland, but it was beautiful and I'm just adjusting to it. And I feel like so far it's been a, it's been a great experience. So a couple of weeks ago, you were out here in Arizona and you were at the Formula Zero camp. You got to walk us through that because it's not just a camp that you sign up for and you go out or whatnot. It's, it's a select group, 20 players from all college get to go to this. And you're selected and, and it's Damian Lillard's camp, obviously one of the best players in all the NBA. And you get to be around him for a couple of days and you get a mentor and be around some of the upcoming top high school players as well as some of the top college players just to for starters just to get the opportunity to be around damien Lillard, to get that invitation what did that mean to you uh it meant the world i mean um it meant that i was being noticed um yeah. and i worked really hard so just to be noticed and um, to be selected for for an experience like that i can't wait that's a big deal for me um, Damian Lillard has been one of my favorite players, definitely growing up my whole life, you know, ever since he entered the NBA. Um, I wasn't really like highly tallied um, compared yeah. to a lot of my other peers. So like seeing somebody like that, um, 
that wasn't so highly tallied, but snuck up on everybody through hard work, you know, that's somebody I, I, I love to, you know, look at and I admire him for, you know, him just even having a camp like this to bring kids that are similar in his, his similar situation um, and try to give them a platform where they can, you know, receive some exposure. So you're out there and you get to be around Damian Lillard and some of the top players. What was the overall experience like out there? It was great. The funny thing is they actually ruined me with a, with a Texas A&M player, Wade Taylor. Yep. And Arkansas and Texas A&M don't really, they don't really like each other. Like, that's <laughs> guy right there. So, you know, off rip, it, it was definitely funny. Um, definitely a great experience. Um, and just being around a lot of, a lot of those guys, Jameer Nelson, I knew, I knew Jameer for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, being around him, um, Eric Reynolds, I played against him in, in college. Um, and then seeing like freshmen, um, this year, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of talented guys, a lot of guys who, who, who are highly, you know, tallied in college, um, just to be able to compete and just be able to work out with them and have some, share some camaraderie was, was a great experience for me. You mentioned that you're already starting to feel the idea of the rivalry with Texas A&M. And so when you get out there and you're with Wade, and I know Wade's a great guy, what were those conversations like? Because in just about, what will be, about what, three, four, five months, whatever it is, when you guys possibly go out and play the game, I'm not sure exactly when it's scheduled, you guys are going to be going head to head. And I know you guys can get that competitive atmosphere, but that will be a little bit more of an elevated competitive feel. What were the conversations like with Wade? Uh... That I know they got the best of Arkansas last year, so I, I basically told them, uh, you know, this year is a a different uh, a different story. So I mean, everything the conversations were great though. Um, we didn't really talk too much trash. It was, it was really just you know just good, just good, um, you know, just good ordinary like uh, going going back and forth. Um, <laughs> you know, it was it was healthy, nothing nothing crazy. Just that, that's my guy though, and uh, you know, just talking to LJ Cryer and all those guys out there too. Yeah. You know, they were just sharing their experiences at their universities. I'm sharing my experience here. Um, and, you know, really it was just all, it was all love and just, you know, it's it's just funny. We're talking about how basketball could just bring you anywhere. Like we, yeah. thought, we look at these guys on TV and we think, oh, he's nice. Or we see this guy, like he's he's nice. And then we're thinking, I'm better than him though. And then you know, <laughs> <laughs> all in one room and basically just talking trash to each other, playing around, but it's all love at the end of the day. So you get to see Damian Lillard. Did you guys get a, did you get an opportunity to talk with him one on one? And if so, what would you talk about? And what's some of the advice he get, possibly gave you? Yeah, I asked him. I talked to him a few times one on one. One time, I asked him about some of the drills that I asked him if he was doing these things in college. They have the same team around him in college, mm-hmm. um, and he was basically saying like, yeah, he's been doing this since college, um, and just like he's he's a very detailed individual. A lot of people go through drills and, and they don't really know like what they're doing while they're doing the drills. Um, he kind of breaks it down, and and it's and usually when I work out, I use I completely use my imagination from how I've been guarded my whole life, and he brings it to a whole other level. So just being inside that realm of um, a basketball study, I would like to call it, was great. And then one time we was in um um well it was two other times. One time I made him laugh. He was laughing really hard about something I said. I forgot what I said, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, we was in a um, we was in the theater room, and everybody kept asking him all these serious questions. And I'm like, damn, he's probably tired of all these serious questions. So I just asked him, like, I said, yeah, everybody's asking these serious questions. I just want to know who's your all-time California um, starting five. <laughs> and everybody, everybody loved my question because he couldn't answer the question. He stopped at like he couldn't find a three and a four. I know he said uh, Jason Kidd, 
James Harden, and is Will Chamberlain? Will Chamberlain is Will, where's Will Chamberlain from? Or no, Bill Russell's from Bill Russell. It was Bill Russell. Bill Russell. Yeah. It was those three guys, but he couldn't find out three and a four. So everybody, all the camp counselors and all the um, NBA guys came up to me out there like, man, that was a great question because I just got to ask a serious question. I had to lighten the room up a little bit. He does have a unique workout because obviously I got an opportunity to go see with him working out with Phil Beckner once. And, and he typically has a unique thing like you kind of mentioned there. There, He doesn't necessarily goes out there and works out for two hours per se. Yeah. He usually has about a 40 or so minute workout, but it's at a speed and a level that – 99.999% of people cannot possibly work out at. It's an elite level speed. And that's the way he typically works. I'm sure he's done longer workouts before, but that's typically his go-to, at least with Phil Beckner. Yeah. When you look at that, how do you, how, how, maybe even how have you so far applied that into your workout strategies? Uh, I think it's more game realistic. Yeah. I think you could be in a gym all day, you know, going through the motions, but unless you go game speed, it's not really going to translate. And mm -hmm. You know, I learned that. I kind of learned that at a young age because a lot of times when I shoot, people think I shoot crazy shots. But <laughs> I go so I really like I'm really like a gym rat. Like I can't I can't emphasize that enough. Like I don't really talk about it. Um, people look at my Instagram and they probably think I'm always outside and all that. But I literally would be in the gym all day. I'm in love with getting better. I watch film all the time. Um, I choose my friends really wisely because a lot of my friends that I grew up with know that I'm obsessed with basketball. Like last night. Um, I mean, we had a pretty, it was an off day for us, but, you know, I, we had a lake day and most people were probably going to the house and be tired after lake day, going to it and all that. I, I was took, I think it was one o'clock in the morning. I went to the gym, got about 710 makes in. Mm. Um, so it was in there until about 2.30, then got home and then I figured out, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, get another workout in. Um, you know, so it's it's just nonstop because I in my mind I always feel like somebody's always out there working out and Phil Beckman's been on my been on my butt just to say the least <laughs> about uh about my um about who I want to be later in life. Do you wanna be a G League guy or an NBA guy? And I don't wanna mm. be one of those guys that's a G League guy. Nothing not taking anything away from them because they work extremely hard as well. But yeah, you know, it's the difference between being good and great and I'm just trying to chase greatness and and I want to I don't want to just make it to the NBA I want to stay in there for a long time so whatever tools um any veteran or anybody who's been in that position can give me you know I take it um whether it's whether whether it's um comes at me any type of way I just try to embrace anything somebody can say to me you just mentioned you guys had a tubing day I know Arkansas coach Musk and the team they all they do some fun stuff especially in the offseason I'm not sure you guys gonna do that during the season but especially during the offseason you guys do some fun stuff what has that been like? Because so many people, we might see the clips on Instagram and whatnot, but we ultimately only know coaches for what they do on the court. You know, we might get an interview here or there. We see what they do post-game conferences, but we don't get to obviously see what their life is like off the court. So you get experience that. You guys probably do some fun things. What has that been like so far? Uh, it's been great. I mean, I'm from Jersey. We don't we don't have lakes out there. I don't go <laughs> yeah. like that. I don't get in the water. If I go to the beach, I'll literally I'll stay on the sand or go walk on the boardwalk. I don't I don't do all that, but you know I saw I saw how much fun the team was having, so I decided to you know go out my comfort zone and try something new. Mm -hmm. I went been, um definitely not the best moment for me. <laughs> you know I fell off the tube a couple times. Um, the water was going through my nose and a whole bunch of other things. I posted on the Instagram. I think Chandler Chandler Lawson posted a picture of me. Um, like my face after I was going through it, I was laying on a boat afterwards, dead. Um, <laughs> but it was great. But people don't know, like Mus is, Coach Mus is an intense guy. Oh yeah. I went 
battle, but ultimately he cares about his guys and he wants everybody to have fun while you know working hard. So for him, for him and the Hump family to allow us to um, to uh, have a have a trip to the boat, uh, use their boats for uh, a lake trip is it's a beautiful thing, and that just goes into the character around the people that we have here at Arkansas. You know, all mm-hmm. high character people that just you know they want to win, but they also want to make sure you're having a good time and have a fun night. So would you say you're going to retire now from tubing, or is that a one-time thing, or are we possibly going to try that again sometime in the future? Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if anybody can talk me into going tubing again. <laughs> I definitely sit on a boat, but tubing is a little excessive. So we going back to the mentality aspect about yourself, and, and I've always respected that. I know we talked a couple years ago when you were in middle midway through your first year out there at Temple. But would you say that mentality has been something that you personally, maybe even your brother a little bit, has kind of helped groom you into? Would you say you give some credit out there to just growing up in the New Jersey mindset or What's kind of inspired you to have that mentality of I'm going to outwork whoever it is wherever you are? Yeah, I think um, I definitely give I always give a lot of credit to Jersey yeah. and uh, the crop of um, talent you know that's out there. But I can't I can't discredit my family and my friends. Mm-hmm. Always keeping the, uh, the um, keeping me focused on what's important. Um, I made tons of mistakes. You know, there's kids out there that make tons of mistakes. I was one of those kids that make tons of mistakes, um, character-wise, and I'm, I'm holding myself accountable to. Um, we're maturing still. You know, I matured a lot, but really, it's just like I never, I never not been a gym rat. Um, yeah. So my grandma wrote a ball out for me and locked me in the gym when I was a kid, while she was a janitor cleaning middle schools, and you know, I stuck with it. And every single time times get hard, I think of her, of how hard she worked cleaning schools. Um, how hard my mom worked being a waitress, how hard my dad worked for me, how hard my uncles and everybody and my friends found a way. Um, if I didn't have any money or if I didn't have food or whatever it may be, everybody made sure I was good. And they just kept me in the gym. I'm not going to be doing anything else. They always kept me in the gym. Um, so they invested in me. So the least I could do is um, give them my all on, on the basketball court um, and invest in myself so one day I can pay it forward for me. We talked last time about your brother, and he had an incredible collegiate career. Has now played pro, and at that point in time, you were still saying, you know, you guys go back and forth one on one. You might get him sometimes, but you still have a little bit of an age gap on you there. But you've now grown a little bit more. You matured as a player. Where do you think those one on one games are at these days? Uh, oh, my phone is right now. The phone, the 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 one on ones. He uh, <laughs> he definitely has the majority of the wins, but. Yeah. <laughs> He definitely has to play his hardest. Like the last time we played, right before he went out to, um, he's in China now. Mm-hmm. Um, he beat me by a game. We played King of the Court series. He won three two. I was pissed off throwing the ball everywhere, you know. Um, <laughs> but he won. Um, he was definitely handsome. He definitely fouls a lot. He fouls a lot, and I don't call. I don't call fouls. He calls fouls, and then on top of that, he makes like the craziest shots that shouldn't even go in. Like he makes like. <laughs> He like turn around twice and throw it up. The ball goes in. So I think that's just the basketball guys just saying like, okay, like we're we're gonna make sure older brother stays older brother for now. Be a time for me. So I take it. I, I don't take it too well, but it just it just humbles me. It makes me just work harder. So you think the big brother winning style is ever gonna lose up a little or lead up a little bit? Yeah, my junior year before he went to overseas, I beat him. Though. Okay. I know he was waiting for that for like to get his get back for a long time because he had to go. <laughs> And um, but I think that we play now. I think it's a, I think it's a totally different story. But I said every single time. But <laughs> I really feel like I, I'm a good one. 
Well, I wanted to hop into your faith a little bit because I do know you're a believer and you did an interview a little bit ago with Will Whitson and, and there was one quote that he just posted a little bit ago that I really appreciate. I love seeing that because you talked about who's someone that, someone that you look up to and you said you don't really look up to any guy because ultimately you look up to God because men and women all sin. And that's a fact. I know that we could definitely see different people and maybe take some things from that person or whatever. But at the end of the day, we're all imperfect people and we're ultimately all just children of God and he's the only perfect one. So I want to kind of take us to kind of explain that a little bit deeper, though. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of people that like people that living or past that I admire, you know, what they've done um, at a strong capacity. But I can't say that I want to be or I look up to one man. You know, I definitely put God first. Um, I was that kid. I was writing um, proverbs on his uh, on his headboard. I had a wooden headboard. I had to write proverbs and all that, and read them at night. Um, I don't I don't really know why I was doing it, but uh, my parents. I know my mom was taking me to church, and at first I was one of those kids. I was like, oh, we gotta go to church today and all that. But then I I grew to strong my strong belief in God, and I seen a lot of He gave me a lot of signs. I feel like in life. Um, and it's, it could have, my life could have went in a lot of different directions, but God has always found a way for, for me personally. Every night before I go to bed, um, especially I started this, I started this, I want to say a month and a half ago where I wasn't going to ask God for anything for the whole month of July. I was just going to read the Bible every single night. Um, and in doing so, um, you know, I feel like my relationship has even grown that much stronger. Um, mm. And I feel like, as, as humans, we often ask for a lot, but how much are we really um, trying to take a step forward to learn about God? You know, it's like asking a friend for things always, that's, that's kind of being a bad friend. So I wanted to definitely learn more about God and, and the true essence of, you know, why everything is for the, for the most part for the way it is, you know? So I read the whole book of Proverbs um, again um, for the month of July. Um, and at the end of the month, it's crazy, God sent me a sign. I, I flipped to the next page last day of July and the book of Proverbs was over. Mm. So it was like, I didn't plan it like that. It just happened like that. But I read the Bible every single night before I went to sleep. I make that a mandatory thing to, you know, do that with all the distractions we have in the world. You got to get some time to, you know, the world and create As we learn, there's going to be ups and downs in life. And even though we are believers, it's not that we just have a guaranteed easy way through life. There's not going to be trials and tribulations. And you've obviously had a fair share of that between injuries behind between different situations that might have occurred, especially last year or whatnot. Like there's not always just going to be ups and highs in life. So as you've gone through the ups and downs of life and on, on and off the court, how have you been able to stay connected and, and, and stay strong in your belief and, and your relationship and your love for Jesus? Um, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, the biggest word is definitely faith. You know, faith is not an easy thing. People can say like, I have faith in this, I have faith in that, but, it, faith it definitely tests you um, mm-hmm. in many ways. I mean, my freshman year um, of college going in my, and really majority of my sophomore year, I was depressed and people can't use that word, but I was like deeply, deeply, deeply depressed. I wasn't happy. I wasn't acting like myself. Um, and my, I told my mom, I used to break down the corner. Like my head wasn't right. I don't know what was going on. I had some people that were really close to me um, die. Um, bathroom wasn't working out. Um, school wasn't working. I felt like everything was going like everything that I worked hard for just all just being thrown out the window. And at the time, I kept asking, "Why God? Why God? Why God? Why did this happen?" And I pray all the time, "Why is this happening?" Mm-hmm. And I was just testing my faith. You know, he wanted to see if I was if I was going if I was going to fold if I was 
if I was gonna, you know, turn the other way. And it was just like a sign. Like I remember my sister called me and I was used to always like be sad, like why nobody checks on me? Why does nobody, you know, why am I going through this? And she called me one day and she just and um she never my sister usually never called me by the way. She's like kick it, she's like, kick it, you okay? I'm like, yeah, why? She said, No, I'm just worried about you. I'm like, why? She said, I don't know. I just, I'm just worried about you. I'm just checking on you. And then she just told me she loved me. And then that was the conversation that right there. And then from that day, it was just like a, a, a instant progression on life. Um, and I felt like, you know, God sent a sign through my little sister who I love so much, you know what I'm saying? So um, every day I just take it one step at a time. And I tried, and I felt like it was a lesson to not focus on the future or not focus on the, on the past failures or past regressions, just to focus on right now and the present moment. Cause that's all you can control, you know what I'm saying? So I've been at peace more than anything, and, and I feel like mm-hmm. it's been, it elevated my basketball game and it elevated myself as a person, you know. I know that when we read the Bible, there's constantly places that we learn about how there's gonna be trials and tribulations, but that the perseverance will allow us to be able to sustain things long term. It's gonna help us become complete, and we're not gonna need anything else because ultimately it's gonna help God get us through as long as we rely upon Him. So a lot of people that don't obviously know the word might be confused by that. But we feel my believers and say, well, how are they still staying strong even up to the trials and tribulations? But would you say now that if you've gone through that tribulation and in the next and so on and so forth, that you've now seen yourself grow and become a stronger and better person, both spiritually, but also just as a person? So Yeah, tons of, tons of, tons of, tons of, tons of bad things have happened to me. But I always remember that somebody always has the worst. Mm. How can I react about something? And I know there's people out there that are born handicapped. There's people out there, like I got people in my family born handicapped. I got people that I see all the time that are born without parents, that are born without family, that are, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. I'm lucky. I mean, I, I I go through a lot of stuff just like anybody would, and I never feel like I'm greater than somebody or below somebody. Um, I just feel like I think we're all here to help each other. I don't want to be hostile to nobody. I hope nobody's hostile to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I donate on the low as much as I can because I know there's a lot of people that have way less than me. I know I'm blessed. Um, and I know God, you know, gave me an opportunity to do something in life. I strongly believe that. And I strongly know that, you know, when my blessings and all that, you know, comes to me when the time is right, of course, I know that I'm going to give. To give back would be to say the least. You know, I want to help mm-hmm. as many people as I can. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want anything looking, I don't want anything to come back. I just want to do that the kindness of my heart. Because ultimately there's kids out there that, that wish they could play basketball, that get up every single day, that they have problems or their parents have problems and they're working hard, you know. And we we do this basketball thing, us athletes, we do this basketball thing. So provide for our families or whatever case may be, because it's fun. But you know, God blesses with talent. So the least we could do is work hard. But if we're talking about like hard things that happen in my life, tons. I mean, tons mm-hmm. of things, countless things that people don't even know about. But that's just, for me, that's just life. And God's going to put you in situations that, you know, you just got to handle. But just know that, you know, you got to have storms to create a garden. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So without without rain, without rainy days, you can't have a, a beautiful garden. So Amen. So I want to get into your temple career a little bit because it was filled with ups and downs that I kind of alluded to a couple of times. And when we first talked, you were in the middle of the COVID season where – Things were going a little bit wild. You guys had games canceled. It was, it was chaotic. We know how that all went down. But you still had a pretty darn good overall season, at least your very first year out there. And Because your first year at Butler obviously was filled with ups and downs as well. So you go out there and you just get an opportunity. 
Take us through a little bit more about that season, though, because you get the first time in your collegiate career actually having an opportunity to go out there and play and do your thing to some extent. What was that first year like? My sophomore year at, at Temple, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, my sophomore year, it was like, I, I mean, the crazy thing is I was, I want to say three days before the first game, I pulled my hamstring. Mm. So, and it was my first time I ever really, like, being, like, kind of hurt in my in my basketball career. So, um, I missed a lot of games. Got cleared a day before we played against Tulane, so I couldn't even work out. So, I didn't, I haven't touched a basketball in about two months now. There's always a stop and go with COVID, and I played in a Tulane game. I think I, I played, coach plays me, like, probably, like, I want to say, like, 27 minutes. I'm dead tired. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to throw up at halftime. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. And then um, I want to say the following game, I think we played the following game. I think we played Houston the first mm-hmm. time. Um, I had about 14, got blown out, was heated because we were losing. And then the next game after that, I had like 21 and 10. So then I started picking up kind of fast. Um, but it was like, I mean, that season was just a whole bunch of down and ups. As I said before, I was also not in the right headspace. Yeah. I was sad about so many other things, um, but I prayed every single night. I knew there was a brighter day coming. Um, so I mean, it was definitely it was definitely a lot a lot of trials and tribulations. But I mean, that's what you work hard for, and nobody has a perfect. So I couldn't really complain about it. And I was just blessed. It was way better playing than being out. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's what the opportunity to um, to be out there. Um, whether I was coming off the bench or starting, it really didn't matter. I was just happy to uh, just play basketball. So a unique thing about you is that throughout your Temple career, you came off the bench over half the games, you, you 26 to 45. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more than fair to say that you were the best player on that team. Damon Dunn's another great player as well, but you would typically see the guy that's a leading scorer, one of the go-to players is typically the starter, especially at the collegiate level at least. You took on this six-man role and you did a great job in it. But how did you deal with that? Was that something that you were okay with? Was it something that you had to learn to deal with a little bit? Or how did you take on that role? I mean, ultimately, I mean, you, if you, I'm competitive, so I never really wanted to come off the bench. Sure. But you also can't be a distraction to the team and be like, ah, this, that, this, that, the third. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that when I came in there, I was going to play my game. Um, I can't give my coaches um, and my team enough credit for just, you know, allowing me even come off the bench and start and just to let me be my be myself as much as I could possibly be uh, while still benefiting the team. Um, my teammates put a lot of trust in, trust in me to make big shots along with Damian Dunn. Um, but I mean, that's just, I mean, at the next level, however they need me to play, if I got to guard the best player and shoot two, two shots a game, come off the bench, I want to do whatever if it, if it means winning, because ultimately that's what I put in my mind is winning. Um, I didn't win as much as I would like to at Temple, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I learned a lot of things um, I took on a role that I would like to say could possibly be a role for me at the next level. Um, so, I mean, you know, it, it all happened the way, the way it, it should have went. Um, yeah. so, I mean, I can't really complain about it. All I could do is just learn from things that didn't go well and be thankful for the things that, you know, didn't go well, ain't went well. So people that don't completely know your game, haven't watched you a ton, might not know the fact that you're a guy that's capable of scoring 20 points per game. Now, necessarily what that happened when you go to the SEC level and you just have a lot of the great players, I'm not sure if the time will tell, but that's something that you have in your bag. You're more than capable of being a guy that goes out, I think is 20 plus. We saw that 
before you got hurt in your second year out there at Temple, you're averaging 21.4, I think, or something like that, points per game in those seven game span. And still, you're averaging 17, 18 points per game last season. When you talk about the level in which you're capable of scoring in 40 minute games at the collegiate level, how have you become such a bucket getter? Practice, 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 reps, reps, reps. All I do is really reps, reps, reps. Mm. And honestly, I feel like a lot of it is mental, mental training. I think you got to train your mind. Because um, it's nice. I mean, I remember one time uh, last year, I think I was like one for, no, I was I was three for like 15 from three. Mm. I remember Dame got ejected, um, Jalil got ejected. So everybody's looking at me like, hey, like we got to win this game. Like we can't, we can't lose a toast right now. So what's going on? So I'm having one of my worst nights. Shoot, I'm in a bad, I'm in a slump. I've been, I was a stretch where I was probably like, I probably, it was a struggle for me to get 14, 15 points in the game, but it don't matter to me. Like I know, I know at the end of the day, I know how hard I work. Nobody can tell me anything else. People would say bad things about my shot selection or or this, that, and the third. But at the end of the day, all the people that's talking, they're not in the gym with me rebounding. They're not in the gym helping me. When I'm having bad days, they're not there for me. When I'm having great days, they're going to write whatever they're going to write. So at the end of the day, it's about self-belief. And I think sky's the limit. I never put a cap on how much I can score, and I never ever think I can't score. In my mind, I can score on anybody. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care who's in front of me. I'm attacking them the same way I would attack anybody. And um, just high confidence. And I think my teammates everywhere I've been, I always prove that, and I, I think I'll continue to do that anywhere I'll go because I just I just know who I am. So. So how about the role at Arkansas so far? I know it's not games yet, and you guys still get that kind of established overall the first part of the season, training camp and whatnot. But just so far from what you guys have seen, just open runs, whatever it is, do you expect yourself to be a guy that could be one of the go-to scorers, be a guy that takes on a six-man role? Like, What can we kind of expect so far out of maybe what you kind of have an idea of heading into the season? Uh, I don't know like about starting or coming off the bench or whatever the case mm-hmm. can be. Um, I know I'm going to play. Yeah. Uh, but – I mean, Coach Must brought me here to be myself, you know. Yep. You know, shoot the ball, defend at a high level, you're not gonna say nothing to me. You know, run the floor hard, you know, be a good kid in the locker room, all the things I already do. Just shoot the ball, play hard, defend, and he's fine. So I mean he brought me here to be myself. Yeah. And I chose to come here because of Coach Must and I know he wanted me here, you know, you know, pretty strongly. So, you know, I know he's I know he saw a lot of things. That I can improve on, that I that, that I work hard at, um, and I know he, I, I do a lot of things that he also like likes also. So I just do what I'm what I'm meant to do. I want to go into your last season last year at Temple, and that was a year that had some ups and downs as well. But you go into that season and you still were recovering a little bit from your fractured foot. I know I read a little bit about how you weren't you only got to start practicing. I think it was ten or so days before the season or something like that. Yeah. And so obviously it's not easy. You don't have the full training camp, the whole summer experience. You don't have all of that to get ready for the season. And you still on paper have a pretty decent year, but I know you even talked about what probably wasn't your best. But what what kind of were your thoughts on last season? I thought it was a terrible season for myself. Hmm. I think anytime I shoot in the 30s, I, if I go work out, and I know if I have the summer, I think the last time I had the summer was my junior year. Mm-hmm. You saw, everybody saw how I, how I came out, you know, I'm, I'm very confident in myself. I track every, all my makes, I track my misses. If I'm not shooting at least 85% up in a workout from three or any gets will be wide open. 
I'm pissed off all day, and I'm <laughs> being there shooting all night until I get it back on track. Um, so I, a little bit, I'm, more, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Sometimes, you know, in the past, that definitely got me in trouble because mm-hmm. you know, I would just be so obsessed with, you know, trying to be perfect, trying to be the best. Um, but now I just, you know, know that I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. We're going to have great days. You're going to have bad days. You know, Steph yeah. has them. Everybody has them. So, you know, it is what it is. But I think last year was definitely um, a disappointment for me as a motivation. I think a lot of people um, in Philly or around that area definitely wrote me off also, um, especially after the season, after the transfer also. Yeah. Um, especially reporters and people who I thought we was cool with or whatever people be. A lot of people said things that weren't true about me and, and about, you know, they talk about how piss poor I played or how I'm a bad team or whatever people be. But I just kept the receipts. You know, I've been staying off of social media. I'll stay off of Twitter. I stay off all that. And then, you know, when the time comes, you know, I just can't wait to, you know, prove why, you know, I feel like I'm one of the best players in the country, you know, hands down. Um, and why uh, any team will want to be, will want to have somebody like me, you know. So. I was going to ask about that because that's, can't imagine the easiest thing per se to deal with when you have countless people and a, pretty much a whole fan base for the most part. I'm not going to say everyone probably, but the, for the most part. Going at you, and, and obviously he's probably not saying the nicest of things to say the least, and also you have reporters and so on and so forth. How do you personally deal with that, though? Because you go through it and you're on your phone the offseason, whatever the case may be. They don't know the ins and outs of what all went down. How do you deal with that? I mean, I, it was tough at first because, like, you know, people say perception is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the end of the day, I, I just remember, you know, I just remember, like, the people who, who invest in me, the people who love me, People who I go to at night, the people I care about, the people I love. As long as they're happy, they know who I am. I mean, I can't. Really, I sleep good at night. You know what I'm saying I know mm-hmm. I can't make everybody happy. Yeah, um, I know the person I am at the end of the day. You know, even 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 Jesus got ridiculed. Yeah, <laughs> not to compare myself to Jesus, of course, but you know, <laughs> if, if Jesus can get ridiculed, anybody can get ridiculed. So it's like one day somebody will love you, one day somebody will hate you. At the end of the day, they don't even know you. So you got to know who you are. Um, like it always goes back to faith for me. Um, as long as I have a great relationship with God, um, and I know I'm a good person, you know, everything else will handle itself. I just wish people would get to know me before they judge me because mm. it, people would be surprised by, you know, who I am instead of what people have said about me in the past or people perceive me to be, you know. And people who don't even know me be saying stuff <laughs> like it's just crazy, but it's cool. I like I said, I keep the receipts. Mm-hmm. Um, I still wish nothing but love for them, but you know when the time is to come, I just want to make them look like they're fools for what they were saying about me, and you know it, it'll it'll happen though. Now I have to imagine that there was at least one high note last season because you guys have a pretty significant upset last season. You guys go beat number one team in the country, yeah. Houston. You got to walk us through that game a little bit. That was one of the worst games I actually played in my life. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the worst games I ever played in my life, but I was try, I was trying to guard. I was just trying to do all the little things. I was in the basket. I'm like, man. So, you know, um, that's why you got teammates. I'm so, I'm, I was proud of my guys. Um, I know they were definitely focused on me running me off the line and um, clocking the pain for me. If I drove them, if I they ran off the line, I'll drive and I'll see like three white jerseys um, running at me. Yeah. So I had to get off of it. I take a lot of bad shots, you know, but we lived and we died by it. Um, 
and we got the win. I mean, Dame came up clutch. Yep. I think our defense was 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 great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we matched their physicality for sure. Um, Core John Cooch, my guy, with a with a, with a crazy block at the end, which mm-hmm. is a good deal. Um, I was joking around with uh, T. Mark, who's now my teammate. You know about that 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 uh, last second shot that he was able to get off. That that was a great play by Coach uh, by Coach Sant. So. Mm-hmm. I'm happy you missed it though. <laughs> but you know, we got that win. It was it was a great moment for us. Um, I just wish we could have kept it going a little more. I think it showed the, the amount of talent we had as a team, you know, but you know, things happen. Can't get it back, but you just learn from it. And uh, it was a great moment. So on the end of last season, then you end up leaving the team and, and that's following the Wichita State game. And I know that's part of the reason some people are always talking about whatever they were saying online. What exactly kind of was going on at that point in time, and, and what kind of just gave you the idea to say, you know, I need to take a step back and reevaluate, whatever the case might have been for yourself. Yeah, so I didn't. The thing is, I didn't leave the team. Like I didn't, I didn't, I never mm-hmm. left the team. Um, you know, things happen um, that I can't really explain or get into. Sure. Um, I didn't exchange any words with anybody. I wasn't disrespectful to anybody. I didn't get any altercations with anybody. You no. know. Um, Certain people thought it was, you know, for the betterment of the team, which I didn't understand. Yeah. So, you know, we lived with, I lived with it. It was definitely hard for me. Um, it made me seem like I was a, a terrible guy or uh, locker room trouble. It's just, I, it's like I can't make it up. I, I get shunned. I don't, I don't understand why. I, it's like I'm always playing defense, but you know, it's okay. Like I, now I would say if anyone wants to talk to, you know. Coach Muss or Arkansas guys about the person I am. <laughs> I think they'll say great things. About me. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm I, I don't have any problems with anybody, and it's still love for everybody at Temple. I mean, people can be hasty to me, um, but I know that it's always a better day, and I'm doing great over here. There's great people over here. Um, they reward me. They understand my hard work, and they make sure that I'm, I'm happy, and they care. They actually care about my happiness. And they care about the team's happiness. It's never about one person; it's about the team. Um, and I have a bunch of guys that want to get better, you know. Which I, um, I can't really say I had that like as much before, mm-hmm. but it, it's been great. It's been great, you know. And I have a great relationship. It's funny because I have a great relationship with my Butler guy. I talk to the guy, my coaches from Butler all the time. Mm. They love me, you know. It's just it, the fact that I sacrificed three years for a university. And for a team that I care so much about, didn't go home during the summer. I mean, I go back home, I don't recognize my sister no more because she looks all old. I don't mm-hmm. get to see my brother, my mom as much as I want as much as I want to. And then for them to end my, you know, career at Temple, for people to end my career at Temple like that, you know, it really hurt my heart. Truth be told, but you know, you yeah. can't you can't change the past, but it is what it is. You kept your recruitment a little bit under low-key, and I know the only thing we really knew was UCF, and all of a sudden all of these different media people were saying it's 100% crystal ball, or he's going to UCF, whatnot, but you obviously are at Arkansas now. Can you kind of take us through this recruiting process? Because I know you were highly sought after. What people at least knew of was that UCF was in the mix. Obviously, Arkansas is there. UCLA, Villanova, Arizona, Memphis, Florida, Louisville, the list goes on and on. What exactly was your recruitment? Was there a top one, two, three schools, or what exactly all went down during that process for yourself? Uh, the recruitment was crazy. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 it got a little overwhelming. Where I was just like, I'm letting my dad and my uncle deal with this. I can't deal with it no more. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but they told me at the end of the day, like it's a blessing. 
because yeah. they, they're going to be in a better opportunity where previously. Um, so, I mean, it was great. I mean, for me, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely, it was definitely tricky to see where I was going to end up. Must Coach Must called me every single day, personally. Mm-hmm. Like usually, a lot of coaches, a lot of coaching staff, they have like assistant coach call you, whatever. But Coach Must, it was every single coach and him. Sometimes he'll call me two, three times a day. Mm-hmm. So we were really getting to know each other. Um, coach Bill Self called a lot. Um, I really appreciate you know his words of wisdom. You know, I didn't go there. You know, he definitely was in the basketball guru. So just picking his picking his brain um, during the recruitment process. Um, he was uh, heavy, heavily targeting me. Um, LSU, um, Coach Dawkins at UCF, great guy. Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to name all the schools, but a lot of schools, you know, they contacted me, but ultimately it came down to, you know, my relationship um, with the coaching and, and who I feel like I could trust the most. And being able to accept um, what people were known as like um, baggage, I guess you know. Mm. Um, coach never judged me. Coach must never judge me. I never believed in it. Neither did Coach Bill Self either. You know, a lot of a lot of coaches didn't believe what they heard about me um, because they asked people who actually knew me, and they and they some people had great things to say about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Coach Must was just over the top accepting and didn't care about it. And what drew me to Coach Must is that people said that he was crazy and all these other things about him. And I wouldn't call it crazy than what he is. He's so passionate about winning and yeah. I feel in love with that. Like, so people, people would say what he, what he, what, how he is, is crazy. He's this, he's that. And we would try to call him names and all that. Um, people I asked, I said, I used to ask about, um, I was Coach Musselman. We would say crazy things, but, you know, getting to know him, meeting him face to face, talk to him on the phone every day. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better coach. I couldn't have asked to be coached by a better human. Mm. Um, so I give him all the praise and I mean I can say like I chose to go to Arkansas because of these different things but you know I can't discredit it was it was Coach Must the reason why I'm there 100% so so pretty much then for you it was down to pretty much two schools it was KU then in Arkansas uh, KU Arkansas UCF um, LSU you know, okay you know, kind of those schools I hope I'm not I hope I'm not uh, missing anybody else I don't want to you know be disrespectful <laughs> anybody else but yeah but you know but those two were kind of at my top, at the sure. top schools I was really thinking of. Um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely Coach Muss all the way. All right, so you mentioned something that I do want to go into because you said Coach Muss was the one that called you, and it was two, three times. And I think he's already become pretty famous for this because when the portal starts, he gives offers and talks or whatever it is to tons and tons and tons of guys, and that's not an easy job. Sometimes people are like, how the heck is this possible? This guy's recruiting or some way, shape, or form, recruiting like 90-some dudes or something like that. Right. When you hear a coach that is somehow grinding on the phone and, and, and getting through all this different stuff at a high level, getting guys that from all over the country, whatever, is to put together a new roster year in, year out, mm-hmm. what is it like just talking to him? And, and what's Coach Muss's personality like in the recruitment stage? Uh, well, I mean, people don't know this, but, like, Coach Muss don't call everybody. Okay. <laughs> if people on staff that definitely will, will definitely reach out to uh, players mm-hmm. and discuss, like, interests. Um, but but Coach Must himself does not doesn't doesn't talk to everybody. So like I mean like as soon as I uploaded as soon as the, the thing uploaded, I got a, a Twitter notification like okay about this is a transfer portal. I want to say maybe twenty seconds after that I got a <laughs> <laughs> I got a call from Coach Must 
He read the board of plane. They about to go to the, uh, the tournament. I think he's going to uh, the Ames. I think he's going to Iowa. And he, and he called me. He was like, uh, he said, KB, it's, it's, it's Coach Musselman from Arkansas, man. You ready to get, ready to get this thing going? <laughs> I was cracking up because it was literally like 20 seconds into it. And I got a tip from the whole coaching staff. Um, and then it was like that every single day. <laughs> every single day. And then um, at first I kind of had my question. Like, I'm like, why are they, why are they, are they, are they contacting everybody? And I talked to Coach Muss about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he had to get, he said, we his his words was exactly KB. I'm trying to win a national championship. So <laughs> fair enough. If you got a problem if you got a problem with you know people people or me reaching out to people or, or my staff reaching out to people, then you know I'm talking to you. You my guy. You know what I'm saying? I don't talk to everybody. You know a couple guys mm-hmm. we need like we got some big time recruits. Um, and honestly, I don't know if I come here without you know Tremont. I don't know if I come here without you know I don't know if I come here without you know adding pieces because. I mean, what a story would be to, you know, come from Temple and the situations that happened there, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, you look up and you're in the Final Four. You know, yeah. nobody can take anything away. So right now, just putting your head down to work, and you know, I love Mus. I can't, I can't say it enough. Um, forget being a, a basketball coach; he's a great guy. Yeah. And you don't hear no kids from Jersey going to Arkansas, so <laughs> you know, so it. I told him he definitely has to get more Jersey guys, but just as a human, he's a great, great human being. And uh, I'm happy he's my coach, you know. Once again, this is an entirely pretty much new look team. And and he does this year in, year out. Last year was a lot of freshmen. You have Nick Smith, you have Jalen Jordan Wash, you have all these different guys, Anthony Black. This year he has the freshmen. Obviously, you've got Layden, you've got Bay Fall, which are both great players. But yeah, I think he emphasized the portal a little bit more. I know he wants more veterans in there. And you guys still return Devo and Jalen, Trevon and company. But you guys add in yourself, L. You have a lot of different guys that come in alongside you guys and 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 have this core group now that's being built. Walk us through this a little bit because you guys now have an interesting looking team. And once again, everyone's looking at it like, okay, we know there's talent here. We know these guys can play. We know these guys got talent. How's it all going to come together? I know Mus will probably figure it out. But from just so far, the midway through or getting ready to go to the training camp time, how do you feel about the roster? Uh, I mean, it's like it's war every day in practice because you're either gonna, it's either you're gonna play, or you're not gonna play. So it's like, um, everybody's like, it feel, honestly, it feels like a professional team where you're fighting for spots, yeah, and you're, and you're, and, and you're competing every day. But every, honestly, at the end of the day, it's like everybody's getting better, and that's the most that's the beautiful part about it. Um, I uh, I feel like you can't beat experience, so bringing the older guys is kind of like you know. It's kind of like a big deal now, you know. It's it's kind of for coaches that, from what I heard in the portal, um, they rather have older older guys because they have experience rather than young guys. So they gotta build up and they gotta yeah. learn the ropes. They gotta get a few games under their belt before they get comfortable, whatever case may be. So I mean, I don't know how it is for 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 coaches that rather have freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great freshmen out there that could play, but I, I just firmly believe you can't really beat experience. It's kind of different. Being 18 and being like 22 or 23, whatever the case may be. So you know these these transfers coming in, Al, um, um, JD, um, and countless other guys, Tremont. Um, I think them us meshed up meshed up with Devo and um, TB Tremont Brazil and um, JG and Makai and all these other guys. I think it just blends well. Um, mm-hmm. 
their t- their toughness and all that is is unmatched. And I think we saw how good they were last year before they had a whole bunch of injuries. Yeah. Throughout the season, they're, they're a great team, and now you're adding older guys on top of that um, with experience. So I think it just gets better. How, how what's the expectations for this team though for you personally because like you said the, the ceiling there I don't know if there really is a, a ceiling for you guys because you guys have so much talent on the team obviously could you guys win a national championship I don't think anyone would necessarily doubt that what's your expectations for how good this team can be this season the expectations I mean coach coach always talks about how how bad he wants to get to the final four and the opportunity to play and win win the national championship. Mm-hmm. And you know that's my mindset every single day. I think that's that's a lot of the other guys' mindsets. Um, when Debo announced that he was coming back, you know, I texted him, "Yo, let's 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 let's, let's go for this national championship." Yeah, he, he was on board a thousand percent. I would think a lot of guys that's here are, are on board. We're trying to win the national championship. I mean, I think we have the best coach in America. You know, coaching mm-hmm. college basketball um, and an NBA guy, so he has a lot of experience. And I think the coaching staff also does a tremendous job. Uh, preparing us um, <clears throat> for any any battle we're about to face, um, and they just keep us in the gym, and 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 God love being in the gym already. So right now, I mean, it looks great. You know, from the other places I've been, it looks great. But we're not gonna know um, how great we're really gonna be until you know we start playing. So. Yeah. So part about your game that. Honestly, I knew you were athletic, and I knew you had a little sneaky athleticism. But there was a video you retweeted a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. Well, I'm not going to lie. And I know you had some of those dunks in your bag. I know you're that athletic. So take us to the aspect about your game because I don't think too many people are as, as familiar that with people know you're able to shoot. People know you're able to score. People know you're pretty athletic. But, I mean, we saw you going between the legs dunking. We saw you doing 360 layups in that video. Walk us through your game a little bit and what Arkansas fans can expect from you this season. Uh, just to – I want to be known as a winner, more importantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely uh, I think I can score I, I think I can score all three levels. Um, really good shooter. Uh, I think I'm a really good on-ball defender. Got to get better off-ball, which I am definitely getting better at because, you know, coach won't let me get away with anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> being great on the defensive end. Um, but just just coaches teach me about being an all-around um, player, rebounding, playmaker. Um, learn a lot of NBA principles along with college, different college principles. Um, but, I mean – what you see, I think, I think, I, I think, what you see is just a scoring playmaker, three level, um, and a guy who plays hard, and a guy who just wants to win, um, and a good defender and a team guy, and um, yeah, that's I, that's really what you're giving, just a team first guy and just somebody who just wins every single night. Due to your injuries and red shirts and COVID year, I do know that you have two years of eligibility technically still available. I know that. The goal in your back of mind, as you already mentioned a few times, is playing in the NBA. So I'm sure if that's an opportunity, we'll see you take that. But is playing two years at Arkansas something that's on the table for you? Are you going to consider that? Or is this pretty much a one year, one year you're done, you want to move on after this? A thousand percent, I'll come back to Arkansas if, um, mm. if I'm not ready ready for the NBA. And okay. to be honest, I, mean, I, I talked to the coach before I even come here. I mean, the coach was talking about the NBA with me, but I told him, like, I, I, I'm just focused on I just want to be one of the best. I just want to be known as one of the best players, if not the best, you know, two guard in or combo guard in college basketball. Okay, um, that's the goal. And if that takes another year after that, then so be it. But I'm not in a rush. I'm just focusing on right now, the present moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to look too far ahead, but you know, I don't want to leave any tables uh, any, any tables turned. I just want to, you know, 
I would dye my T's and cross my eyes with this thing. So I just want to make sure, you know, we win as many games and I can be the best I can be on the floor every single night. So. I know Coach Musk obviously knows what he's doing in terms of getting guys to the NBA. We've seen that since he's got to Arkansas. We've seen that when he's at Nevada with the, with the Twins. Yeah. As you've got through some practices and seen him coach a little bit, been around him, how does he do it? How does he keep getting these guys ready for the NBA level? Um, I, I mean, really everything. I I, I want to say what he what he doesn't do, but he does. <laughs> he does everything. I mean, it comes mm. to when it comes to just being even that simple as um, getting ready for an NBA interview. Mm. If it comes to um, working out or how to work out, prepare for mm. it. If it comes to NBA principles on defense. You're prepared for it. If it comes to how to respond, you're prepared for it. If it comes to mental, mental toughness, you're prepared mm. for it. I can't give coaching up credit. Um, people I've talked to, when they find out I went to Arkansas, they're like, oh, you, if you can handle Coach if you can handle coach Munch, you can play anywhere. <laughs> you can play in the NBA, you can, you can deal with Coach Munch. So, I mean, that just shows you the caliber a level of, of himself and his coaching staff. Um, there's a lot of dedicated people here. Every day I wake up, I'm blessed to be able to walk inside that gym. Um, and call myself a Razorback and bless to you know have these fans that put so much into the program as well, um, alumni as well. So I mean, you know, Coach Mush just he gets everybody prepared, and you know, as a leader, I look at him as as a leader of all this. Um, I think it starts from the top guy and it trickles down. Mm-hmm. And don't get it twisted, Coach Mush works out just as much as, <laughs> as any. <laughs> Coach Mush would be up running the treadmill, running five miles at five a.m. For real? Yeah, <laughs> like five miles. By the time I get in, he's already on his, he's already lifting, goes straight to practice, practices hard. Everybody knows how, you know, how intense he is. Mm-hmm. And then after practice, I'll be getting shots up. He's in there working out again on the, on the treadmill, writing out notes, prepared, and just preparing for whatever whatever's coming. So, yeah. Was you saying Coach Musk be working out two, three times a day, potentially? Easy. <laughs> that's crazy well man i got one last thing i want to ask you about because when you step foot in that home arena bud wall arena we know that place can get crazy we know the atmosphere is one of a con we know that there's not many fan bases i would put above arkansas in terms of how crazy they are they're right then the top tier group it's gonna be rocking it's gonna be crazy how excited are you to be able to step foot on that arena be playing in front of those great fans and just rock out as an arkansas razorback I can't even put it into words, man. It's, it's a dream. Mm. Um, that's why I, 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 every single time I think about it, um, which is really every single day, you know, it makes me work that much harder. It makes me, when I don't feel like it, when my, my body's sore, if you go back to the gym, if you put some extra shots up. Um, because ultimately, I don't want to let the fan base down. I know that I have some expectations being here um, that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want, to, want the fans to know and when everybody know that's watching me and supporting me, that you know, I'm, I'm going to give you know this fan base everything I have, um, and I just ask for it back. You know, just support. You know, it's going to be good days, hopefully great days, a lot, a lot of great days, and there's going to be some days where I, you know that that, that ain't that ain't so great. You know, mm-hmm. on the shooting end or maybe as a team or whatever it may be. But just know we working hard. The whole team is working hard. Coach Must works extremely hard, and you know we're not we're not expecting less than you know great so you know that's that's really what we're all looking forward to i don't want to just put myself in that category i know i, I know i'm definitely working hard and i i don't want to say too much i kind of want everybody to see it mm. but as a team definitely working hard um 
and coaching us and, and, the, and the rest of the coaching staff, the coaches, the GAs, the managers, they do an exceptional job as well. So everybody's looking forward to playing in, in Budwall and how that place rocking. Definitely have some big games and, and win, as many, win as many games as we can. Absolutely. Well, Caleb, I appreciate taking time to come on today, man. I cannot wait to see what God's got in store for you this upcoming season and maybe even two seasons, whatever you got out there at Arkansas, man. And keep being the light, brother. Appreciate you, bro. God bless. Appreciate you. Of course. You're always welcome on, man. God bless you too, man. So we're going to get some college football breakdowns right now. Lots of college football happened. We're officially back in football season. Technically week two, but it's the first full week of college football action. Lots of big-time games. Lots of stuff happened. But there's two games I want to touch up on that were far and above every other one. It was the two million ranked matchups of the week. But obviously, Michael Panics out there, Jr., out there at Washington was phenomenal. Caleb Williams is showed why he's going to be the number one pick in seven, eight months now. He was spectacular for USC once again. But the two games I want to touch up on. First and foremost, how can I not touch up on Colorado versus TCU? I mean, my goodness. Colorado comes out 45-42. to 42. They were expected to lose that game. Obviously, that's not what happened. They come out and, de and defeat the team that was in the national championship game last season. Now, I know and it is fair to say this. Let me make this clear. Obviously, this was not the TCU team from last year. Like That's obvious. Lots of changes happened. This was the New Year's TCU team. This was still a top 25 ranked team. Still a very, very, very talented and good TCU football program. Colorado came in there as the underdogs at TCU and gave them the work. We're talking about Shadur Sanders comes out, 510 yards, four touchdowns, and Travis Hunter impacted the game more than just about any college football player we have seen impact the game in quite some time. One of the only players that we have seen not just play two positions, but he played two of the most hard positions outside of quarterback in all sports, wide receiver and cornerback, and he did both at an elite level. The way he played on the defensive end, getting that pick, getting deflections, guarding and locking up, he was spectacular at the cornerback position. But guess what? Right when the ball flips sides, he's going to be out there on the offensive end, and he goes out there and gets 11 receptions, 119 yards. Travis Hunter is something spectacular. We have not seen a guy that has influenced, impacted, and altered a game at this level in a very, very, very long time. Now, I know it was just one game, but I don't think this is just going to be a one-game wonder. I think this is a guy that's going to be here to stay. This is what we call truly a generational prospect, a guy that we have not seen before play at the level in which he is playing at, a guy that truly can play two positions, a guy that we don't – it's hard enough to play one position at a high enough level, to not come out of a game, to be in that in shape, playing in 90-plus degree weather in the humidity of Texas at Fort Worth in TCU. That's spectacular. And he was not, he, he was energized. We saw those videos in the locker room. He was not letting up. He is spectacular. He's going to lock up the best receiver in the country whenever they play. And he's at the very other side of the game. He's going to go out there and get some touchdowns. He's going to get yards. And he's going to move the ball to the wide receiver position. He is sensational. And let me go back to Shador real quick. He is a guy that proved himself to be more than just a guy that can go out there and play at a high enough level to be a decent college quarterback. Now, this is a guy that will be an NFL quarterback when his time comes. He knows what he's doing. I thought that for a long time. I, I love watching Jackson State games the past couple of years. They were fun to watch. But Shadour went out there and he proved why he is a quarterback that is capable of becoming an NFL caliber quarterback. Now, I know this is one game. And I know a lot of people say, well, just one game. Hold up a little bit. No, he played at a high, high level throughout the past couple of years. And all this was was just affirming the fact of the, ma fact of the matter that this is a legit NFL quarterback prospect in Shadour Sanders. 
He is spectacular. He is sensational. He is box office. And let me just say this. That USC game, when they go out and play Colorado-USC, oh my goodness. We might have a battle of the two best quarterbacks in the entire country. Add Michael Penix Jr. in that group. Bo Nix out there, Oregon. Michael Penix Jr., as mentioned, at Washington. There's some elite quarterback play in the Pac-12 for however long that's going to last. Obviously, it's just the final year of the Pac-12. And it might be one of the most entertaining Pac-12 reigns of football that we've seen in quite some time. So that is going to be something to watch. Game number two I want to touch up on. FSU over LSU. My goodness. 45 to 24, a top 10 matchup. And that looked like a showing between an unranked school and a top team in the country. 45 to 24. FSU blew them out of the water. You could tell Brian Kelly was not happy about that performance. And, and they didn't even play that bad. Jaden was not too bad of a player. He played pretty solid that game. Overall, the team wasn't horrible, but FSU just was the better team. LSU did not look like they wanted to be there. They did not play at a high enough level. FSU just broke, beat them in. It, it, it was a great display by them. Jordan Travis showed why he's one of the better quarterbacks in the country as well. 342 yards, four touchdowns, a pick, also a rushing touchdown for him. He looks sensational. But can we We must talk about the wide receiver, Keon Coleman, a guy that was once on this show a little bit ago when he committed to Michigan State, originally to play basketball and football, decided then to no longer play, foot, no longer play basketball and settle in 100% on football. About last year or so after his first year playing basketball, he looked great at Michigan State last year. Whatever reason, he decided to move on into the transfer portal. He comes to Florida State. And my goodness, nine receptions, 122 yards, three TDs, 6'4 body. He's more than just a 50-50 ball. That man can ball. I don't know how much longer he's going to be at Florida State because he's got legit NFL potential, and he proved that last night. But that was a sensational game. Florida State looks legit. They look legit. Now, the final topic I want to get into, World Cup basketball. Lots of stuff has gone on since I last talked about it on Thursday. We're now down to only eight teams. Eight countries, eight nations, whatever you want to call it, remain. And that is between Lithuania and Serbia, Italy and the United States. That's on one side of the bracket. Those two teams will be playing each other tomorrow, early in the morning, but they'll be playing each other, and we'll be able to watch that game. Next up, we've got Germany and Latvia, Canada and Slovenia. So these are the countries that are going to be playing for the final group here. Let's see if we can get this bracket pulled up here. There we go. So yes, Italy, United States, that will be the first two up there. Then we also have Germany, and they'll be playing Latvia. We then have Lithuania, Serbia, and then finally down there we have Canada and Slovenia. All right, so this is going to be an interesting final eight countries. USA obviously lost the last game they played. Interesting game. If anyone watched that, we know there's some pretty iconic pictures that got taken in that game. USA did not have the size to compete, and that proved to be what the case was there. Now, they know there's some rumors that we're going to put Paulo, give him a little bit more minutes. Are we going to possibly start two guys at the four and five? Jaron Jackson fouled out. We'll see. I said this before. When we headed into the tournament, I said the biggest problem for United States basketball, and this does not even have necessarily to do with the fact that we don't have our best of the best. Obviously, we already know D-Book. We know that John Morant's not playing. We know that LeBron, Kevin Durant, we know some of those guys, Anthony Davis, bam, they're not playing for Team USA right now. Okay, we know that. But the fact of the matter is that the United States, we don't produce necessarily the best bigs in the country right now, or in the world right now. There could have been upgrades potentially. We could have had a true center. Yes, Anthony Davis obviously would give you some size and help there. He would have been good. Bam, same thing. You have Jared Allen. I'm a little surprised Evan Mobley was not on this team. I mentioned that before. He could have helped a little bit there. If we're going for size, you have a guy like Nick Claxton. He could have been there as well. We have some big men out there. But we don't got Joel Embiid. He's, we don't got Jokic, the two best centers in the NBA. 
We don't got Carl Anthony Towns as the top three centers in the NBA. None of those three guys are there. Another guy with size is one of the top players in the NBA, Giannis. He's not American. He's not playing with us. Jonas Valanciunas is another solid guy. Yusuf Nurkic, he's another solid guy. All these different guys, we, we don't got a lot of good American-made NBA big men right now playing. DeAndre Ayton, I know not a lot of people are very high on him, and he might not be as good as some people might perceive him as. He's still a solid big man. He's not American. He's playing out there with the Bahamas. We don't have a lot of, of star power. Rudy Gobert, obviously, with France. Victor Wembenyama, Spurs. The list goes on. The fact of the matter is that the United States does not have the best group of true big men. And so that was going to be our weakness, and it proved there. Now, do we have the best guards? Without a doubt. And they're going to need to show up. Anthony Edwards was still spectacular. He looks special as well. But U.S. is going to have to figure something out because now it's winner go home. We've got eight school, eight teams remaining. Winner go home. Going for gold medal. Game start tomorrow night or I guess tomorrow morning in our case here. And it's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. But I think the game we must circle here, when we got Slovenia playing Canada, Canada looked good. I, I said this too as well before. Canadian basketball has grown tremendously very, very quickly. I know that they've put a lot of effort and time into making sure this basketball in this country and this nation grows, and they've done a heck of a job at that. They're going to have a roster if they choose so choose to next year in the Olympics of an entire NBA roster if they so choose to. They've got guys. And this team right here that looks spectacular, that's got the likes of Shea Jodas Alexander, who's playing at a high level, Lou Jen Stewart, who's playing at a high level, Dylan Brooks put on a show the other night. The list goes on at these guys. They're missing Jamal Murray. They're missing Andrew Wiggins. That's two more All-Stars right there. They're missing a lot of other guys that they could have potentially had on this team. Brandon Clark's recovering from his Achilles injury. He, If he's healthy and ready and wants to play next year, he will be on that team as well. There's a lot of guys that are from Canada that can play on this team and fill it up. So they're going to be a problem. But you got that team. And then Slovenia. Obviously, we know who's on that team. Uh, you have Luka Doncic. You got the squad. That's going to be a game to watch. You have two legitimate all-star superstar players going at it and Shea Gildas Alexander and Luka Doncic. So that's going to be a fun game to watch. I think that's the biggest highlight game. But obviously, United States is playing. So USA, Italy will be a fun game to watch as well. So that's what we got. World Cup updates. We'll have some teams eliminated. We'll be down to a final four, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, by the next time I come on the show on Wednesday, we will be down to four countries remaining. And so we'll break that up, break that in and, and discuss that as soon as we get back on the air on Wednesday. But that wraps up today's show. I appreciate each and every single person for tuning in today for the two special guests that came on and Mike Rhodes, Penn State's new head coach, Arkansas God, Kayla Battle. I appreciate both those guys for taking time to come on today. And I appreciate every single person that tuned in live that's going to tune in later on. I appreciate you guys all. And uh, may God bless you guys all. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. All right, talk to you guys later. God bless.